0: Welcome to School of Movies. Mary Poppins. Or should I say, Mary Poppins. (laughs) How should we say this one? Mary Poppins. Fire! Light up the sky.
1: It's the entertainment thrill of a lifetime. Mary Poppins. Walt Disney's newest and most delightfully entertaining motion picture. Starring the toast of Broadway's musical stage, the incomparable Julie Andrews.
2: For a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down, medicine go down. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down in a most delightful way
1: and America's fabulous funny man, Dick Van Dyke, as you've never seen him before. Mary Poppins. The fabulous adventures of the world's most charming and delightfully eccentric heroine.
3: I can tell you one thing, Winifred. I don't propose standing idly by and letting that woman, Mary Poppins, undermine the discipline There's been something odd, I mentioned, extremely odd,
4: about the behavior
3: of this household since that woman arrived. Yes, dear. Ow! They're
5: not in the again!
1: Yes, the wondrous and magical ways of Walt Disney's Mary Poppins so completely and so hilariously discombobulate the family with whom she comes to stay in such delightfully amazing ways. Their lives are never again quite the same. And nor will yours be when you've been touched by the magic of this magnificent new motion picture from Walt Disney. Mary Poppins
4: Oh, it's a jolly, holiday with Mary. Oh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Even though the sound of it
3: is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always know shout Super cocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious.
6: Goodbye, Mary Puppies.
0: Don't stay away too long. Joining us are a couple of regulars, Karu Nagisa. Stubborn and suspicious. (laughs) And Debbie Morse.
7: Possibly perfect in every way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Of Sequentially Yours. And a brand new guest, long-time listener and fledgling podcaster herself, Mackenzie Easton, co-host of the Rainbow Connection Muppet podcast.
8: Uh, Spit Spot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, Sharon. Hello. Hello. Okay. Now, this time around, Sharon noticed, by the way, that I have kind of a thing for both Emma Thompson and uh, Mary Poppins. And, and
9: Julie Andrews, generally. And Julie
0: Andrews, generally. Like, yeah. I go all gooey whenever I see Julie, Julie Andrews, so there me, may who be doesn't. something in that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is true. Yeah. Mm. And there's, you know, there's a little bit of both of those in, in you, which kind of probably helped me, you know, just go, this is the right kind of person.
9: Slightly posh efficiency.
0: Yeah, there you go. Slightly popular. With
9: with soft edges.
0: Yeah. Now, this time around, we're trying something new, which is to field your questions, you guys, the listeners, which you can tweet at us with the hashtag, hashtag SOMHandsUp. And technically, you can do it live. Like, if someone tweets that at us now, we can read their question. We'll do it live. Uh, Of course, you don't know that because this is now in the past. It doesn't matter. And I asked someone very specific for a good question, and he didn't disappoint. Daniel Floyd of New Frame Plus and our Ah. Disney shows posed the following. For this one, you have to go all the way back to our Sleeping Beauty show.
2: Like you said, Disney was wanting to make this... He wanted to make Sleeping Beauty his studio's masterpiece because he'd built up over the decades this incredible animated film creating machine, wanted to show we're on top of the world right now. We've got we've been making lots of money with these things. Let us make the best thing we are capable of making
5: yeah.
2: and spared no expense whatsoever. And he I mean, at the time, Disneyland was being built uh, he even went so far as to create a Sleeping Beauty attraction there to tie in with the film's release. Yeah, he was going all in on
0: this movie. Well, he built the castle. This is norm. That that's yeah. the Disney logo. That's this castle. Yeah. Now jump forwards once again to our The Sword in the Stone show. <laughs> it, is fu- it is. funny that like he worked. So- he sunk so much
2: money and wanted so much for Sleeping Beauty to be his masterpiece. I really feel like Mary Poppins was what actually ended up
0: being. We saw it earlier today. It's wonderful, isn't it? It is. It is awesome. We can't really talk about it here, Dan. I'm sorry, but we will be doing a show on Mary Poppins. Fantastic. And Dan writes, One thing I remember us briefly mentioning in our Sleeping Beauty discussion is how Walt Disney was really pouring everything into that animated film in an attempt to make it his masterpiece. But despite all its artistry and a few great characters, it's a pretty dull film. And i would mentioned that I thought Mary Poppins might actually have been the masterpiece of Walt's film producing career, which would be kind of interesting given the live action animation hybrids, uh, how he got his start with the Alice films. Uh, So I guess one possible question to ponder for the episode would be, is it? Is Mary Poppins ultimately the strongest, most enduring individual piece of art that Walt helped create? Because I don't think it's the movie a lot of people would jump to, and it's obviously a super subjective question. But I have this feeling Mary Poppins might be the true masterpiece of his career. Whatever y'all discuss, I am excited to hear this one. So, Mm -hmm. that is such an expansive question that I figured I would open with it and we can answer that question when we get to the end of this show, given everything we've learned between now and then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. All right. So just keep that one in the back of your mind. Is this his magnum opus? Is that... Does magnum opus even apply to Walt Disney, considering everything he did? Just, like, is this his individual...
9: If you're going to yeah. pick one thing, then yes, I would say it it does apply. I mean, Mag- not mm. we haven't decided yet whether it specifically applies to Mary
0: Poppins. Now, see, because term... Disney wasn't just a filmmaker. He was the industrialist and the, the capitalist, the marketer, the, everything he was. But the making of films was one aspect of that. So I suppose what we're asking there is... Of that aspect of him, is this one at the pinnacle?
9: I would say the key things to consider, because a lot of the stuff of his that you'd be looking at...
0: Snow White, Sleeping Beauty, Cinderella, Bambi, Dumbo... Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Fantasia. I mean, underappreciated in its day, but...
9: Indeed. But I don't think that you could include things like the parks, because they only really truly blossomed after he died. Hmm. So in terms of things that he himself was directly involved in creating and were completed and out there by the time he passed.
0: Artistically speaking.
9: Yeah, artistically speaking. I think you'd have to take into account how long he spent trying to get this done. Mm. Mm. It's not Mm. just about accomplishment of the piece itself. It's about how much he put of himself into it.
0: Mm. And I mean, you you mentioned the parks. I think there's like three major elements of success to Disney's life. There was the the filmmaking, the parks, and also the merchandising. The like <laughs> Disney merchandising has blossomed over the years and is such a huge part of the company as a whole. It's like Disney memorabilia is a ma- like a major major. Um, You know, if you took that away from Disney, they would be really in trouble. Uh,
8: The brand is kind of one of the best accomplishments of Disney, the like essence of Disney, which everybody recognizes, which you can't say about every company in the world.
9: And you can't say Uh that he didn't fuel that intensely when he was alive it's not as if people took what he created and then ran with it obviously the brand has been built on and built on and built on since Mm. he died but he definitely laid the groundwork for it it taking that shape he the wonderful world of disney was essentially that in a television
0: show was mm. just
8: here this is what our image is
0: yeah (laughs) he is the founder is probably the the best way of uh, like you know he built the the groundwork for this uh, company. So, so yeah, of, of these three wings, you can't really look. I mean, each of these three has a foot in artistry as well, like you know, and at the same time in commerce. So the films, while being very artistic, they do understand, you know, some more than others. The actual creative processes that getting a lot of bums on seats, uh, butts on seats, uh, is, yeah. is is is. You know, paramount to 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 what Disney were trying to achieve. It's not just about putting out like if they'd just done the Fantasia thing and well, we're just going to please ourselves and be like super artistic. Then Disney itself as a company would have floundered. Mm. And then in the memorabilia side of things, it's not just commercial crap. There is an actual genuine uh, creative scope in a lot of this stuff that it's, they make it's not just cheap knock off crap.
9: Yeah, it's a fusion of artistry and commercialism. Yeah. And I think that too often people are inclined to look at it as, well, if it's one, it can't be the other. Yeah. If it's if it's one, then it's betraying the other. Yeah. And that's just patently not true. It is possible for something to be both. Yeah. Or at least it's not that simple. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, you you can't draw a line and say something is either artistic or it's commercial.
0: That plays into a hell of a lot about this film. And and I think that this film and how it was made, why it was made, all does play into the idea of art versus commerce. And uh, yeah, I think possibly more than almost any other individual film, it's got that question mark over it.
9: And in fact, if you bring ideals into that as well, art, ideals and commerce...
0: Yeah. Okay, so this film should be either supercalifragilistically easy to cover or tricky, because it is, as has been said many times before, practically P-word in every way. (laughs) (laughs) So rather than trying to cover every single whimsical element, we are going to go through in a mildly chronological order, jumping into street painting focus points and asking ourselves your questions. But we're going to begin with a second question from me, and this is to the group. This is just something I observed, and I'd like to hear what you guys make of it. There are, it would appear, two ways you can watch the film Mary Poppins, accepting or inquiring. What would you assume be your take-homes for each? I'll start with accepting. To be specific, this is actually about Mary herself. Do you simply accept that Mary coming in is mary poppins and that everything just happens or do you inquire now wait a second what's actually going on here because that you can't act you can't really do both as you're watching
7: okay yeah then yes this is what i thought was basically do you watch this as a child in terms of your perspective do you watch this as an adult
0: Hmm. how does this film come off if you are entirely accepting
10: if you're entirely accepting, I would say that the film kind of flows perfectly. If you just accept that this is the world that we live in
0: oh, it's in, in this world. film.
10: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It it uh, it comes off excellently. Smoothly. It, smoothly, yes. Despite it being basically a series of vignettes, hmm. those vignettes dovetail to each other so nicely that it's hard to sort of not be on the ride. Hmm. And it does feel like a ride.
8: If you're on the accepting side, I think it it just kind of does have this sense of flow to it. This very old-fashioned-y musical sensibility where it just kind of just keeps going and you're pulled along. It's kind of stagey in that way. And the world of the film really does that as well, where everything is matte paintings. And if you're not questioning any of it, it just feels kind of enchanting. It's just its own world and you're just there and enjoying it and you don't have to think too hard
0: and i did say that I, you can't do both but it's possible that you could I what i mean say, is yeah. if you okay. do do both you're going to be pulled in two different directions so <laughs> okay. what would inquiring it, entail in this case it
9: does it it kind of blends with one of the the biggest portions of my notes about the film which is to do with how the children read the adults and <laughs> If you look at one of the the key elements of the film, which is how Jane and Michael interpret their dad's behaviour and attitude, particularly towards them, children are accepting of the world around them. They take a lot of things at face value. But they are also inquiring and they lay their own interpretation into those things that they're being presented at face value.
0: Why? Exactly.
9: (laughs) So, fundamentally, when they respond to their father and make interpretations of how he feels about them it isn't based on the things he says it isn't based on things he does that they don't really know anything about or have any frame of reference for like the fact that he provides them with house and food and electricity and all of the other things that he does for them that people generally take for pre-generational parents to be this is how they demonstrate that they love you. What they pick up on is his facial expressions, his body language, the things that say he is constantly tense and stressed, especially when he's around them, because he's got in his head that everything has to be ordered and set in a certain way, and children are, by their very nature, chaotic. You can't expect children to be ordered and perfect. It just doesn't work Uh that way. Mary comes along and... Her words are often strict, cross. She claims
0: that she's never cross, but she's she's very contradictory. She
9: bloody is, yes, absolutely. (laughs) However, you look at her body language and you look at her facial expression. She smiles, she laughs, she dances. Those are the things that the kids are picking up on.
0: And it would appear she always speaks the truth and is always straight with people. But she also lies. She straight up lies and tells people at times the complete opposite of what is actually manifestly true. There is. One- she has some
8: gaslighting moments. In yeah, there. yeah.
0: <laughs> the, I'll, you know, well. Uh, we could talk about that now, actually. There is a point later on where the kids are completely g up about riding the GGs, the, the, the horse race, the fox hunting, um, the thwarting of the fox hunt specifically, yeah. uh, and and just that whole cartoon adventure. And they're, they're really thrilled about it, and they won't go to sleep. And Mary straight up tells them, didn't happen. Shh, you know, shush, go to sleep. You're, you're You're fantasizing out loud. This didn't happen. Now... I said to uh, uh, Sharon and, and Lyra, if this happens in Mary Poppins Returns, she straight up tells them this didn't happen when it did. That's genuinely disturbing in a modern context because we live now in a world where... What is said and agreed upon by consensus, even if it's manifestly not true, can become the new reality. You can become the master of reality by claiming, I didn't do that, even though we have video footage of you actually doing it.
5: Uh
0: Uh, So, yeah, to to tell children something didn't happen when we know it, it does now comes off as insidious. It comes off as a villainous thing to do and well, it's uh, i'm sure they didn't mean that to be the case but it would have been far better the modern day context of that would have been that the uh, um kids uh, are asked, you know, what did you do today? And then they look at Mary and Mary sort of just gives them a very slow wink and they say, oh, we just looked at some horses. And just the illustrating point is they and this person are doing fun things that uh, the other, other grown-ups wouldn't, uh, would disapprove of. But even that carries with it disturbing connotations in this day and age.
7: Strangely enough, I don't I, I don't know why, but my mother never had a problem with me watching this movie as a child. Suffice to say, I grew up very uh, conservatively religious, and usually anything with magic was a huge no-no. I loved it as a child, but I had the impression of Mary Poppins as being very, very stern. But just, we watched it a few days ago. Wednesday. We watched it on Wednesday.
10: Yeah.
7: And... Watching it again, I realized something and it it I was kind of trying to see what's at the heart of this and this it affected me still as an adult very, very profoundly. And I think what it is is it's a blending of the two ways of looking at it because I was because I think what it is is Mary Poppins understands the way, Kids need adults to be with them. In that, number one, kids need boundaries, of course. And so Mary, you know, Mary does present herself in her words, be very strict, be very proper, etc., etc., etc. But they also need room to imagine and fantasize and be children. But I, I think there's a part of that that. Hmm. It feels to kids like that is not an adult thing to do, and so if a, if an adult, at least in that day and age, if adult is too openly encouraging of it, kids are kids might not be as interested in it. But if an adult is seeming to forbid it, but as you said, Mary, you know she says one thing, but. She knows what the kids are going to pick up on, and it's, I say don't do it, but in reality, do it. Mm.
9: There's an interesting Mm. blend Interesting. There's (laughs) a curious blend of childcare approaches in Mary Poppins. And this sort of addresses one of the things that crops up in Saving Mr. Banks, where they query why a family would have a nanny if there's if it's not a question of both parents are out working all the time and so they need someone else to look after the kids and I my interpretation of it is that it stems from upper middle class and upwards people wanting their children raised in a very particular way a professional way by somebody who knows what they're doing and the difference between somebody who is looking after children, who's been trained to and is being paid to do it, is that in an ideal world, and I know that this is obviously not always the case, but in an ideal world, they are able to give the children their full focus and attention while they are on clock. And ideally, that's what children need, adults who can give them their full focus and attention. And it is physically and mentally not possible for your parents to give you their full focus and attention all the time it just yeah. is not possible because they are not just your parents they are all sorts of other things as well whereas your nanny or you know your childcare person while they're on clock is just your childcare person and Mary's yeah. approach combines the sort of more traditional governess type tropes that we would expect to see existing in 1910 and earlier, and also the attitudes towards childcare that were starting to become, or, or pro- possibly were even very firmly, the vogue in the 60s, in the late 60s specifically. Mm-hmm. And that's mm. the that's where that sort of imagination and allowing the kids to mentally run free stems from.
0: It's very yeah. significant that it t- takes place in 1910. I don't know whether. Um Travers when in ten king edward's
10: on the throne it's, it's the, the age of men.
0: <laughs> of men it's the edwardian times uh, it's it's specifically it's not just what it is but what it isn't it comes at the after the victorian age which is an age of austerity and black dresses and blandness and uh abstinence and um you know let us not speak of anything unseemly and just everything about the victorian age is about repression but what it's Sandwich between is that and the frickin' First World War, just four years away, just around the corner. It's kind of perfect that this is also two years before Titanic, which again has this sort of, it's the age of men. Full steam ahead, but what about the icebergs? I said full steam ahead, we're going to arrive even earlier in New York, then we can have more to boast about. The White Star Line will be the talk of the town. And then, of course, crashing straight into an iceberg, the manifestation of what happens when you buck heads with the world mm.
9: the Edwardian uh-huh. era is an era of backlash it's backlash against what 50 odd years of of having a queen mm. and an empress and it's also a backlash against the steady deterioration of the British Empire mm.
0: so you've got a lot of yeah. hangover from the Victorian age but they were trying to make it a bit more elegant there's a the the, the bank's home they're, they're supposed to be kind of middle class or lower middle class uh, for the time but it's yeah no sorry no no
7: Upper middle. upper middle class. Okay. I was say they have a yeah. nanny, a cook, and a maid. I, I think they're doing pretty well. Yeah, they're okay. in a
10: they're in a neighborhood with a retired admiral. May I, also-
0: Aden, amend that? <laughs> in the eyes of P. Uh, P. L. Travers. They're supposed Ah. to be lower middle class to only just working class, like just above working class. That she considers them to be normal people. Now, her viewpoint, as we find out watching the film Saving Mr. Banks, is wildly skewed. Mm. But as far as she's concerned, they're normal people.
9: Yeah, well, upper middle class people yeah. think they're middle class people. Yeah, lower middle class people think they're middle class people. Okay, it's divided yeah, class for a think They're middle class people.
0: But they're... people think they're middle class people. Mm. <laughs> the uh, people, middle class people. <laughs> this this era was uh, it's it's just before uh, you know the the Mary Poppins returns takes place during the Prohibition. So like we we there's some really horrible time coming up ahead. And in America, you've got this kind of we're just out of the Wild West. We're you know, forming America. We're in a genteel age. You can see this in Lady and the Tramp. This is clearly an age that Walt, having grown up in, was in love with the idea of. So, so it's, it's this sort of brief moment when it seemed like everything was going to be fine in the world and then the whole 20th century happens
8: <laughs> interestingly the next movie also takes place about four or five years before a world war so they're yeah. just picking the time periods where the world isn't on fire it's kind
0: of perfect <laughs> let's talk about author versus adaptation because i i just uh, uh, mentioned her before scott elder this is the first question from you guys asks did you know of p.l traver's opinion of the movie when you first watched it if not, how does it influence your opinion of the film now and its upcoming sequel? No, we didn't know, Scott. We were four.
5: I, um,
8: <laughs> this was a long
0: time before the internet, and we had never heard of the books.
10: I, I had the internet P. when P.
0: I was four. Oh, God, of course. And you didn't know. <laughs> we're a lot older than you. Sorry, sorry, Mackenzie.
10: I did know about Peel Travers' opinions of the film uh, because the first time I watched it was Wednesday. Uh, the first time I watched it all the way through, at least. I mean, I'd seen bits and pieces over the years, but yeah, so I was aware of that Peel Travers did not like what happened with it um, until basically the mid-70s when she sort of came around to it a little bit. But yeah, I was aware of it. Uh, Did it color my opinion of it? Um, Not especially, no. And I would say that's because I'm aware of Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke and I had a childhood love of them from other projects... And that sort of seeing both of them so joyful throughout the film, you know, even when Mary Poppins is being stern and reserved, it's still there's still a sense of a sense of joy to it. and Julie Andrews was really good at just kind of keeping that just under the surface so you could see it, but not really put your finger on it. To me, it doesn't matter what Peel Travers like, liked or didn't like about it. I thought it was brilliant.
9: For me, I think because I obviously didn't know that P.L. Travers even existed when I first saw the film. Hmm. And <laughs> although I never read the Mary Poppins books as a kid, I was a big fan of a lot of children's books that were written around the same era. So I was a huge Edie Blyton fan. Yeah. Um, I loved... C.S. Lewis. Yeah, C.S. Lewis. Uh, Susan Coolidge, She wrote the, the What Katie Did books. Uh, there's a... Um, some sequels that were written to the original Heidi story that I was really into. What Katie
0: did way earlier, Gwendolyn mentions it.
9: I suppose so, but it does still have that slightly Edwardian. Feel oh yeah, because it was
0: it. written in Edwardian times. Yes. Yeah.
9: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did. I read also read a bunch of the Heidi the Heidi books as a kid. I don't remember
7: a lot of them, but I know I love them
0: at yeah, the time. Yeah,
9: Heidi grows up and <laughs> Heidi's children. They are weird, but I love them. Um, and, um, and it's an
0: 1872 children's book. That's oh smackbag in the Victorian era.
9: Wow. Okay, that was oh, wow. written a lot earlier than I thought. Yeah.
0: I, so, I had to fact check that when I had Gwen cite
9: it. Mm, good point. So, for me. To find out that P.L. Travers had actually written a, a story that she felt had been overly disney and made ridiculous was so strange to me because, to me, the Mary Poppins is a very prim film. And despite Dick Van Dyke's accent, which I'm sure we'll talk about eventually... The, the, <laughs> There's two questions about the it. The very Britishness <laughs> of it... And specifically the very sort of London-ness about it seemed relatively authentic. Although, obviously, as I've got older, I've realised mm, not
0: so much. It's authentic if you've seen but the, the more... documentary Oliver.
9: <laughs> <laughs> and that's your only other reference point for what London is like. Yeah, all right, good point.
8: But authentic based on my, like, one-week trip to
9: London Indeed, in high school. Yeah, yes. <laughs> okay.
0: Did we sing these up Mother I, Brown for you?
9: But if I think about it, if somebody were to say to me Disney is going to do a famous five film and it's going to be a musical and it's going to have I don't know an animated Timmy, I'd probably be quite horrified. Hmm. At least initially.
0: <laughs> is is Timmy a dog?
9: Yes, Timmy is a dog.
7: Okay,
0: cool.
7: I did not find out that this was um, that, that that Mary Poppins was even based on a book until I think we were hearing about the promotion for Saving Mister Banks.
0: Ah, so like twenty thirteen.
7: <laughs> yes, okay. yes.
0: So you've grown. Did you did you start with this when you were young, or?
7: Yeah, yeah. Um, watched oh, yeah.
0: It, you said was, you you watched it in your family that um, that wouldn't otherwise like. Uh, w- that's what I meant about inquiring. If if you're inquiring, it's good that Michael at least says she's a witch. Does he does he actually say the word, she's a witch?
9: He says she's a yep. witch. Yeah. I, I at least
0: the film know. lays that down, yeah, because otherwise I, you could <laughs> just assume, yeah, she's a witch, why are these kids note, not freaked out?
9: I did note down, though, that the fact that she starts the film sitting on a cloud powdering her nose makes her a little bit more of a guardian angel type than an actual witch Mm. and i certainly never thought of her as a witch when i was watching it as a kid
10: Mm. the actual witch was mrs price from bed knobs and broomsticks yes
9: exactly (laughs) see now that's the other thing as well i i watch bed knobs and broomsticks much more i am and all the other stories that i read witches were doing way more witchy stuff witchy stuff She She
0: honestly comes off like the clipped Agent Carter version of the fairy godmother in Cinderella.
10: Yeah, mm. oh, I can see that. <laughs> yeah.
0: British Division, very yeah. yeah,
10: I think the inquiring approach to things is how we get to the internet, Mary Poppins is a Time Lord's uh, yeah. theory.
0: Yeah, you can, that's the thing. You can, If you open your mind too much, your brain will fall out, which is a, a nice, fun <laughs> mo- thing to say regarding being totally accepting of everything. But if you're totally inquiring of everything, you can't let anything just sit and just be and be happy with that. You've got to ask and ask and pull apart until it's all just spooled out in front of you as so much spaghetti. Mm.
9: But I think that's meaningless then there is a difference between inquiring because you genuinely want to know why something works and cynically shutting it down because you're saying it can't work.
0: Mm. Okay. And that's mm. the
9: opposite of inquiring.
5: Mm-hmm.
9: You're first introduced like the first scene
7: in the house, you get um, I believe it was the maid and the cook talking, mm. and they're they're talking about they speak of the children very much as if they're... They make them sound like, oh, they're hooligans and they're, you know... They, they <laughs> what if don't they become listen.
0: ruffians?
7: Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. They but,
0: sound feral from the way they're yes, described. Exactly. Yeah.
7: <laughs> but when you meet them the, that first time, they're two of the sweetest children you've ever seen. Yeah. They, they are just children. First of all, we like we watched Bed Nods and Broomsticks.
10: Uh, she had never seen it, so we watched it for the for her first time on uh, a couple of days before we watched Mary Poppins. And I'm like, the Rollins kids would beat up the Banks kids in a heartbeat and steal all of their pocket money. <laughs> oh, definitely. <laughs> like, like in a in a heartbeat. Like Charlie would like talk them out of their shoes. Um, but also. Um, I think, and this goes back to something Sharon said earlier about kids being chaotic, specifically with the Banks children, both of their parents are very passionate people. It's just that they have found a direction for their passion. Hmm. And I think part of what's going on with the Banks children is that they are somewhat directionless, despite the fact that they have their parents' passion. Hmm. And Mary Poppins sort of gives them a place, an outlet for that.
7: I think what, what Mary is doing is she is presenting herself as if she is a proper english governess but she is helping these kids find their proper place in life and i don't mean that in the sense of you know find your place in society that's what mr that. banks wants them to do yes but it's follow your heart and know what find your passion and find your love
9: and follow it even if society tells you that's not okay Mm. Well, this is what I mean about it, it segueing into the 60s, because prior to the 60s, it was your passion will be whatever your parents' passion was, or, you know, there, there will be a definitive path through life that you are expected to take you can choose not to take it but you will be known as being specifically rebellious and the 60s possibly
0: without a cause
9: well indeed yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and the irony with that is of course that if you're rebelling too hard against the path that you think you're being forced to take you end up going in exactly the opposite direction which is being programmed as much as the first version um, well, but I the,
0: see all of the uh, red pillars who, yeah. and conspiracy yeah. nuts who Egg- are so desperate to not be controlled that they are being controlled.
9: Yeah. yeah yep. Indeed. But the 60s had more of a sense of boundaries being removed completely. And while I'm not saying that children should be trammelled into a specific shape because God knows that's bad, if you give somebody complete freedom and no direction whatsoever and just stick them down in the middle of a big field and say, find your own way, they're going to get lost. It's just choice paralysis. Mm.
0: Mackenzie, we never got to you regarding uh, how did you feel about... Did you know of P.L. Travel's opinion of the movie when you first watched it? If not, how does it influence your opinion of the film now and its upcoming sequel?
8: Uh, Well, I didn't know about P.L. Travel's existence as a Uh, (laughs) five-year-old. Not my children's books. I was getting Harry Potter and the like. Mm. Uh, But... It didn't change my opinion very much on rewatches since Saving Mr. Banks, which is probably where I learned the most about it. Mm. Because, honestly, a lot of films, I don't care if the author was angry, because authors aren't inherently good screenwriters. They Mm. often are kind of bad at understanding the filmic qualities of their work.
0: And I think we I, all found that out this month, those of us who went to uh, see it.
8: I am waiting. I'm going to see it in cheap theatres. I'm a student. I can't afford.
0: <laughs> I love how you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about.
8: I I keep in touch. Uh, but, I mean, I'm a film student. I know Stephen King hates The Shining, and that doesn't make The Shining a bad movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think P.L. Travers necessarily... From my understanding, her books are very very episodic, even more so than this film.
0: It's a lot of tea parties with mythical things. And, like, tea party with a flower, tea party with a star, tea party underwater.
8: Perfectly charming in a book. Maybe not going to... You need to at least create the semblance of a theme for a film, and this film does that exquisitely, so...
0: Um, I, it does, it influences. Oh, hang on. Sorry, is there any more there, Mackenzie? I don't want to cut across you. No, no, go ahead. Okay. It does influence my view on the film in terms of it feels like more of an accomplishment with this lead weight they had hanging around their necks saying no, 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 no. There's a a doodle that uh, uh, was drawn of her uh, in in the film which happened in real life where she's just like looking through a script going no, 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 no.
3: And here we put in something that we shall be able to refer to as a clue later on when Mr. Banks half guesses the truth. ...that Mary Poppins had once been his nanny. Just a little something in the script, I'll help you with it later.
0: Whoa, did you catch that one? Mr Banks half realises that Mary Poppins was originally his nanny. That didn't make the film. And kind of changes everything. It seemed like a monumental challenge for everyone involved... Watching the film, I, the, the first time round I was more receptive and more uh, ready to uh, feel sorry for her. The second time round, most recently watching it, uh, it's it's really down to Emma uh, Thompson. i Thompson. And, sorry.
9: You were going to say Emma Watson. I was going to, yeah. yeah. I feel that don't, don't feel decades. bad, Alex. I Emma,
0: I'm you from the future. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't find out. It was the Grim that did it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. It's the time-turner. Too much time-turning, Hermione. Good morning,
4: Pamela. It
9: is so discomforting to hear a perfect stranger use my first name. Mrs. Travers, please.
10: I, I do apologize, Mrs. Travers. I'm done. DeGratty, the, the scriptwriter.
9: Co-scriptwriter. I should certainly be having my say, Mr.
10: DeGradi. Uh Wonderful. I welcome your input.
9: If indeed we ever sign off on a script.
10: Right. Um... This is the rest of your team. This is Dick and Bob Sherman, music and lyrics, voice. The one and only Mrs. P. L. Travers, the creator of our beloved Mary. Poppins. Who else?
9: Mary Poppins. Never, ever just met. It's a pleasure to meet you. Okay. Here we shan't be acquainted for very long. Why is that? Because these books simply do not lend themselves to chirping and prancing, no. Certainly not a musical. Now, where is Mr. Disney? I should so much like to get this started and finished as briskly as is humanly possible. Perhaps someone can point me in his direction. I'd
0: be so grateful. Thank you. I've completely (laughs) lost my thread. It's down to Emma Thompson's amazing performance to be able to elicit that level of... Uh, uh, sympathy for this character and obviously we're we're, you know party to a speculative version of her childhood uh, a a lot of which you know some of it may be based on twisted events some of it may be very much um, made up. Lindsay Ellis did a really excellent piece on the revisionist history of Disney and why it bothers people so much that you know Disney are whitewashing over everything just to serve their own ends. The film itself is lightly critical of, Di- like, very lightly critical of Disney in that he, it's kind of an overbearing brand when you've got this great big obnoxious Mickey sat in your hotel room after 20 years of saying, no, no, that's a little bit too much. No. Nope. And, and it, it's like, of all the things you could do, filling her hotel room with Disney paraphernalia might have been a bit overbearing. And uh, so, so there's, it's like I say, it's lightly critical of, of uh, D- uh, Disney, uh, only the least tiny bit critical of Walt himself. It's not a film about Walt's flaws. He comes off as as um, uh, as this marvelous man in there, and I'm uh, I'm very disinterested in hearing people tell me horrible things about Walt Disney. I, I'm I'd be <laughs> uh, frankly knowing too much about John Lasseter has made me very sad on the inside.
8: Oh. That just broke my heart into a million
9: little pieces.
0: Yeah. There is, uh, again, a push-pull between... accepting and inquiring when it comes to the men and women involved
9: Mm. there's also a big difference between needing to know about the flaws and bad behavior of somebody who is still in the industry Mm. and might still need dealing with
0: and who might be making people's lives bad of
9: somebody who has been dead for a very long time Mm. and doesn't necessarily need to be torn apart in everything.
0: If it comes to light that unequivocally he did something terrible, I do want to know about it. If, however, it's just regurgitated hearsay about, I heard this this on Family Guy or The Simpsons, then I'm sorry, Uh, I don't care what you think about Walt Disney. Yeah. Um,
8: The things that Walt Disney did that were worst are still things that companies do today, so it's hardly
10: worth the...
9: He was all (laughs) corporation-y. Oh, Oh, union busted. Oh, well, yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I've said this before. It's it's dangerous, the idea that Disney could take over everything, but if one company's going to, and that's going to be the ultimate end of capitalism without us being able to stop it, it being Disney is better than it being, say, New Line or it being Warner Brothers or it being fucking Fox. Yeah. Yeah yeah
9: we're <clears throat> going to bring in a constitutional amendment we need separation of of church and state and Disney
0: <laughs> and the church of Disney and the state of Disney which will be well, the 51st Jedi state is a,
8: is a religion and Disney owns that now so. Ooh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay so let me just rotate back around to Seven, Mr Banks it's lightly critical of Disney it's Sympathetically, definitely critical of Travers herself as a very flawed person who comes across as the kind of sourpuss that we really want to see open up. Like that, that somehow, when the happens to the Grinch and when it definitely when it happens to Scrooge, that makes us well up inside. As in, we, we see someone who represents us when we close ourselves off opening up and we want to see her embrace this even if it's a fictionalized version of that and they condense time to bring you to where she was in the 70s and possibly interpret more than really was applicable in real life what one thing is abundantly clear she didn't make the first four books or five books about mr banks and his arc and she definitely didn't take what disney had done with her characters and go right let's make this about the transformation of mr banks from this kind of person to this kind of person it did not it was not part of her artistic agenda and yes if you look back on the uh, mary poppins books they are very different they are very episodic mary herself is quite cross all the time quite fronty she's a lot more talking like this and this talking like this and also there's some troubling stuff in those uh, early Mary Poppins books. There's a section which they were going to do for the movie where um, they use a magic compass to go to four different points of the globe and meet different peoples there. And uh, she had to adjust this part of the book, uh, in this, the Bad Tuesday, I believe it's called, uh, In uh, I think it was in the 60s when she was told, you can't just go to Africa and uh, uh, the North Pole and... Describe the people there with these racial stereotypes, as was tradition in the thirties. <sighs> yeah, and yeah. then in the eighties again, yeah. she had to revise it a second time and turn these smiling Sambo's into monkeys or whatever to, to specifically turn people into animals to try to minimise the insult. Ugh.
8: There's only the slightest, tiniest moment of that that gets through into the film, <laughs> and I only noticed on this rewatch, they throw around the phrase Admiral Boom throws around the phrase Hottentots
0: oh. a couple
7: times.
0: As you're a kid, you don't know what Hottentots are in the '80s. <laughs> Hang yeah, on, that was
7: yeah. A little uncomfortable to watch just recently. I was like, oh, whoa. The
8: first you... time I thought I must have just not heard correctly, but then it happens the second time, and. Uh,
0: Right, it refers to the Khoikhoi. How am I spelling it? Saying this, Khoikhoi. Uh,
9: Khoikhoi. A
0: Khoikhoi, a traditionally nomadic pastoral, non-Bantu indigenous population of southwestern Africa. So it's a colonial term from uh, shitty colonial uh, British Empire uh, military type.
7: Something I've struggled with, and something you know I'm still working on. Definitely, but the fact that to see people when you become an adult, to see people as people, and it doesn't excuse shitty behavior, and it doesn't excuse racism by any means. But to understand that they were people, they had flaws, they made mistakes.
10: Are we talking about Admiral Boom or Walt Disney right now? <laughs> uh,
7: good question.
0: Admiral, Bo- well, there's a prequel coming about all about Admiral Boom because that's a story that needs to be told. They've already got Ron Howard directing. We'll find out how Admiral Boom got his cannon.
8: Admiral <laughs> Boom and his time in the colonial wars.
0: <laughs> Good lord. Anyway, um, it,
7: just to just to try and see things that no, it wasn't okay, but it was what it was. And if we get hung up on something that is very much in the past now, you're stuck in the past then to yourself. All the the gist of that. <laughs>
0: So we're about 45 minutes in. Let's talk about the first minute of the movie. Um, (laughs) We meet Bert, and he's doing his uh, wonderful um, Cockney dance. Keddy Bredemir asks, from an English person's perspective, so this really only applies to Sharon and I, how bad is Bert's accent? Uh, Miguelito also asks, the accent, Dick's accent, is it that bad?
9: Yes. Yes, it is that bad.
0: And no, (laughs) no, it isn't that bad.
9: (laughs) Okay. Um, A more accurate way to put it would be there are moments when it's not noticeable and there are moments when it's really bad.
0: I would say that uh, when British people try to summon up uh, that a person's English accent was bad, they cite Mm. Dick Van Dyke in uh, Mary Poppins. He is... Uh, exemplary in mm. terms of not so much bad English accent, but exaggerated English yeah, accent. He takes the Cockney manner of speaking, smooths out a bit of the edges, makes it as personable and fun and soft as possible, and just delivers a stream of English-flavoured Americana.
9: Here's The Cockney accent is so specific... It's a, it's a tiny portion of London. A practic- You have
0: to be born within the sound of bow bells. Yeah. Technically my grandfather was, so I'm a Cockney by descent.
9: Is that allowed? <laughs>
0: <laughs> nah, probably not. I have to be born within the sound of Bow bells, well, innit? there
9: you go. So, but but it's it's a very specific, very small portion of London. I, the pure Cockney accent virtually doesn't even exist anymore.
0: Yeah, because you'd sound like Bert from <laughs>
9: Mary Poppins. For somebody to, to...
0: Or a Guy Ritchie film.
9: For somebody to do it in a context that is not very specifically about... Uh, the the kind of uh, the cockney area it's it feels a bit to me like watching Deliverance and thinking that's a representation of American accents generally.
0: Specifically the American Appalachian South. Well,
9: exa- that's what I'm talking about. It's a very, very specific location that you're only really going to have an ear for if you're brought up there.
0: I think that the murderous rapists in Deliverance are slightly more negative than the sweet, avuncular chimney uh, sweep that agreed, we're getting here. but
9: I am talking <laughs> specifically about the accent. Okay.
0: Good choice. Yeah. <laughs>
9: <laughs> okay. All right. But bad example, but...
0: Sorry, Dick. <laughs> Good Lord. I would say, however, that I love it. I love his accent. Oh, I, I love his performance. It's so
9: fun. It's so. I grew up with it, so ridiculous. I can't
0: not, you it's, know, warm to it.
9: It's ridiculous and it's silly. And it, to me, because it's bad, it makes him sound more entertaining. Yeah.
10: I think he sings in a better accent than he speaks in this. Because there are times when he speaks that he kind of sounds like Adam Sandler doing a child. Mm. You know that child accent that Adam Sandler does? I'm Adam Sandler. That (laughs) (laughs) one.
9: He he has said himself that there there were days when things were rushed and he couldn't quite get it right. But they kept those takes anyway because they needed to. And yeah. so, you know, it's it's up and down. It's not always on point. It's bad in the sense that it's not an accurate Londoner's accent. But, I feel, but it's not bad in the sense that it's unpleasant to listen to.
0: I feel like it's been conflated with, with various popular films at the time. Oliver was out around about that time, as was My Fair Lady with... Yeah. Audrey Hepburn doing another very similar Cockney mm, accent. And I think Paul true. Dick Van Dyke gets like tarred with the sh- chimney sweep brush for this one. <laughs>
9: yeah, nobody goes He was
0: part of a, Audrey of a
9: Hepburn's t- accent. Absolutely terrible.
0: He was part of a a, a cheery modification of the East End of London mm. by America at that stage. Yeah.
9: yeah.
7: Well, and 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 I'm noticing that in spite I I agree. I didn't mind the accent, and not British, obviously. So I don't have to take on that per se. But, but clearly, Dick Van Dyke, the amount of joy that is just oozing out of him—like, not a- oozing, sorry, exploding—that <laughs> that, that was a poor word choice. I apologize. <laughs> that is exploding out of him every second he is on screen is makes up for a lot
8: as a third-generation British person
7: uh, <laughs> living in Canada.
8: Uh,
9: oh, of course.
8: I frankly couldn't care less, but my family's from the north, so it's not going to be based on my family's accents anyways.
9: Mm, well, yeah. well te- there you go. See, so technically so is mine. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, you guys have got Boromir to, and, uh, I suppose, Thorin to oh. thank for for the yes. northern representation of Britain.
9: Yeah. Yeah, this is
8: Yeah, true. I don't, don't think great-grandma from Manchester really would have given a crap either way. Mm,
0: yeah. Okay, so... Despite the tomfoolery that we get, like, one of the first things Bert does is laps out of his da 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 da, da to the Winds in the East song. It's just a few bars long, and mm-hmm. it sets up the film,
10: and it's wonderful. So much so that they started and ended Saving Mr. Banks with it as well.
0: It is, of course, related to the Chim Chim Churie song, which turns up later. They appear to be angling for tapping into a sense of perspective and... Loneliness that comes from standing far above it all and looking down on a city, which makes one ponderous. And it's accentuated by being sandwiched between moments of goofy tomfoolery. So he stops and is still and then comes back around again.
6: (laughs) Dear Miss Persimmon, yes? Winds in the east, mist coming in, like something is brewing, about to begin, can't put me finger on what lies in store, but I feel what's to happen, all happened before, I'm sorry, where was I?
9: The best thing about this line from Bert, for me, is actually how it sets up Bert as a character. And you cut from his cavorting to entertain the toffs to a very genuine and soulful delivery of something... He's delivering some information about something and somebody who is obviously important to him.
0: And who is mysterious to him as well.
9: Yeah. But significantly, when he sits down with the kids towards the end and gives them an explanation for why their father behaves the way he does, that comes across as sincere, in spite of the fact that he's been this tap dancing, mm. candy striped entertainment factory for most of the film, because you know because of that juxtaposition between the one-man band and the, oh, here comes Mary, that Bert has a sincerity to him. He is an authentic person. Mm
7: -hmm. The performance is astonishingly subtle. There is so much more going on there in his performance than than there would seem to be on just a surface look. Mm -hmm. Oh, the music's got this really interesting shift as well, like... It's not just
8: in the performance, it's also very clearly almost a sense of mystery and almost foreboding in the winds in the east section that really establishes there's way more going on here than just the candy coating Mm. on top.
10: All the bass instruments drop out.
8: Yeah. It sounds almost like wind blowing through some kind of absurd instrumentation. It's really unique in the flow of the music Mm. in the whole piece. That's why it comes back so much.
10: Mm -hmm. It's uh, the Sherman brothers were absolute geniuses and every song in this movie is a triumph, but I especially like this starts setting up that each character has their own leitmotif and chim chim churi is birds. And yeah, whenever he's on screen, you get that sort of in the background, but because there are so many interpretations on that simple tune you get it contributes to the subtlety of van dyke's performance and everybody's as it is tomlinson's andrews the whole nine
9: there's also in the the words of that something lyra actually picked up on that if mary is always brought by winds from the east that means she's constantly traveling west which means she's chasing the sunset she Oh. If, if she because when the
0: wind changes and fl- and blows west, yeah. she then follows. She then it.
9: has to go. Yeah.
0: The it also speaks of uh, a cyclical nature of what happens with Mary Poppins. I've been th- thinking about what might happen if Mary Poppins came back for decades now, and and thinking about what would you know would she see Jane and Michael's children? And obviously that's what they went with in the end. Uh, the the uh, Mary Poppins book she went through eight of them, and she never brought it forwards. It was always just the same kids being visited by Mary Poppins again and again and again. Mm. And in the end, she gives this wild cry as she flies off never to return. And uh, it it feels like the generational thing is something Disney do now really well. Because they brought up the now grown-ups. They brought up the grown-ups' parents and they're bringing up the children now. Uh Uh-huh. We got your children.
9: Mm. I (laughs) cannot think... Of hook
0: yeah when i watch yeah. the
9: trailers for this
0: but with well, yeah it's it 's got it 's almost blatant the way that Travers takes that aspect of Peter Pan by going this has happened before and will happen again uh, it 's almost uh, paraphrasing it mm. um, but if
9: you're if you 're stating that this has happened before and will happen again, and particularly if you 're then making sequels to that story that involve the next generation of people impacted by that, you are making your characters archetypes. You are making them mythologies. Mm-hmm.
10: Yeah. Something's happened that, will, that has happened before Line. It's one of several kind of setups without a payoff in this film that I'm okay with because of the nature of it. But I think what it does there is it goes to the characterization of Bert, who is clearly somebody who has been changed by Mary Poppins and being part of her world, something that we eventually see with Mr. Banks. Mm-hmm. It's, in a way, foreshadowing, because he has been changed. He is now this you know bright, cheerful person. I almost wonder what he was like before he encountered her and very clearly fell in love with her. Mm-hmm.
7: Yeah, the fact that she says in the, whatever, the her verse of the their song together. Jolly Holiday. Yeah, when she yeah. says, like, you've never... I don't remember the words exactly, but you've never... You've never pressed the advantage. You've never
0: like. You never like, think of pressing your advantage. <laughs> Forbearance is the hallmark of your creed. A lady to yes. fear yes. when yes. you are near. Your sweet gentility is crystal clear.
9: Although, as I pointed out, there's an, a look of disappointment that crosses Bert's face when he realizes this means he's not getting any.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to keep it such professional, a strange Bert.
9: compliment. After <laughs> wow, you make the
8: sunshine brighter. Yeah, you don't shove yourself on people
0: thank you for do- not doing that <laughs> But that,
9: you know what that is that's positive reinforcement
0: yeah honestly um, <laughs> one of the Sherman Brothers was talking about how uh, uh, there's a, a feminism element to Mary Poppins which is suggested by the suffragette thing we're going to get to that in just a second but that Mary herself is very independent very assertive and uh, actually kind of a feminist icon I'd, mm. I'd, I'd be behind that I'd,
9: I'd go with that principle Boop. yes and, um, yes yeah, Hell yes. She okay. decides
0: what happens to her.
9: Absolutely.
0: Two more things regarding the whole about to begin. One, they may not have known, but the, it made it very conducive to home viewing, the nature of this. This all happened before. Yeah, I know, I was watching it yesterday, and I'm going to watch it again because it's great. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're a kid and you just watch the same film over and over again, that helps, mm-hmm. that whole sense of just cyclical, and then you watch it again. And the other thing is the... Um, Fifty Shades of Grey style fanfic of Mary Poppins, Nanny McPhee, which actually, unlike (laughs) Fifty Shades, is really good, (laughs) is it does take, it's already taken that step whereby Nanny McPhee and the Big Bang starring Emma Thompson uh, happens about 30 or 40 years after, maybe even more more like like 60 or 70 years after the uh, original one which happened in Victorian times. And the baby in the first film is now an old man. You find out at the end of the second film, he's just overjoyed to see her again. It's a lovely moment. But Nanny McPhee most definitely has that Mary Poppins thing going. I think they're from the same agency. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Look, I don't know how all that happened downstairs, but I'm in charge
7: here and I don't need some nanny to help. My sister and I aren't even part of this family, so whomever you've come to look after, it certainly isn't us.
9: Listen to me very carefully. I am going to explain to you the way I work. When you need me but do not want me, then I must stay. When you want me but no longer need me, then I have to go.
7: How could anyone possibly want you?
9: Well, it's an
0: odd
5: thought, I grant you. But there it
0: is. Matthew Seibert, because now we can talk about Mrs Banks. Is the portrayal of Mrs Banks meant to be supportive of women's rights work or an accusation that women involved in politics are neglectful mothers? I can never really figure out the intent behind her character. Uh, The group, what do you think?
8: I can't say much for the intent, obviously, because I can't read minds. But I don't think... Either Mrs. Banks or Mr. Banks Interests are framed Particularly poorly by the movie By which I mean By the end of the movie Even Mr. Banks is like Going back to the bank It's not that the things that they care about Are inherently bad It's that they're Too focused on them To see what they're missing In their own family lives So I don't think The framing of her suffragette fight is inherently, oh, stop that you silly woman, you should be taking care of your children. I think it's she can't see things around her. Like, both her and Mr. Banks have a moment in their intro songs where someone is trying to tell them something very Mm. important and they can't see what's going on. But neither of those things is completely thrown out by the end of the
0: film.
9: I think for me, it was always a little bit
0: Obliviousness is swapped for awareness?
9: Uh, Yeah, but but in terms of of how Mrs Banks' commitment to the suffragette cause is portrayed, it almost seems to be... Not that it doesn't matter, but they don't really seem to have strong feelings about it one way or another. They've just yeah. put it in there as something that she does, which is the reason why she needs someone to come in and look after her kids. Mrs. Banks herself is not portrayed as a bad person, but she is portrayed as being slightly scatty about things that aren't to do with the cause. And to, but, But she does obviously love her children, and she does recognise the fact that she is not... Not that she's not a good mother, but that she's not a good
6: That's not caring what is for focused.
9: kids person. Yeah, exactly. There's even, I, th- I think the only scene that I would say seems to be slightly disapproving of her, and even then it's only really slightly, is when Bert brings the children home and says they've had a pretty rough day, you know, they've had a bit of a fright, somebody needs to look after them. And everybody's like, no, this is not our job. And Mrs Banks desperately tries to find someone, anyone, who can deal with her frightened children that isn't her. Um, But again, I don't get the feeling that it's because the evil suffragette cause is taking all of her attention. It's just that she's the kind of person whose attention would be elsewhere on whatever the the other thing was.
0: The SJW Mm -hmm. agenda in action.
9: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, but the, the other thing is as well that... Okay, if they were really... Keen to set it up as the suffragette movement was really important and everybody should be massively supportive of it and it's really crucial work that Mrs Banks is doing and that Mary Poppins' presence enables her to continue doing. They'd have got the colours on her sash right and they wouldn't be blue and pink.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they looked at the photos, they were grey and black mm. and it was difficult to tell what colours those were. So yes. they went, uh, blue and pink? Indeed. That'll look nice. Indeed,
10: indeed.
0: It goes to character
10: in the sense that both Mr. and Mrs. Banks are very passionate people about the things that they care about. And they think that what they are doing is being good to their children. You know, she sees herself as making a better world, particularly for her daughter, one where women are held to an equal to have equal rights to men.
0: Not just her daughter, but her daughter's daughter. Yes, exactly. Planting a tree, she will not be able to enjoy the shade of. Mm,
10: Precisely, and Mister Banks similarly thinks that his work is providing a strong and healthy home for his family. It's um, and a strong and healthy England. Yes, exactly. And a strong and healthy England, a strong and healthy country, an empire.
0: Yes, that, that really? empire is certainly going to last a long, long time. Yeah. Excuse me, Germany, long, long time.
10: Yeah, exactly. So it's, it collapsed like a flan and a cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> in many ways, you they have need... a flag.
0: <laughs> Sorry, carry on.
10: Okay. In
0: many ways, they need to.
10: <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's it's the difference between how adults and how children see things. Children see being with us as an expression of love, adults see creating a world that children can then inherit and, in many ways, find themselves in because they have the freedom to do that. Many adults see that as loving their children, and there was that disconnect there, and Mary Poppins bridges those two ideas.
7: Hmm. Mr. Banks, in spite of seeming to be very traditional... He doesn't really seem to have a problem with his wife being a suffragette.
0: Mm. He doesn't even say it's silly.
7: Yeah, she mentions that it
10: makes him quite cross, but we never actually see him be quite cross about it. Yeah, it's
7: almost like she's afraid...
10: He's going to be cross about it. And he never really is. And she doesn't try
8: to hide it from him later. She is openly about to go to a thing. Hmm.
9: Yeah. Although she does, at one point, he says he wants her to do something and she stops what she's doing and pays attention to what he wants her to do. But you get the impression that that's something she does because she cares about him and she loves him, not because she's under the thumb and is expected to... You know, take care of his needs at all times. And when Bert yes. lists the people who look after the children and he's making the point that there isn't anybody to look after their father, at no point does he say, Your mother looks after your father. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. He says, Your father has no one in the world. And I was like,
2: what? He's
9: married!
2: <laughs> what does she wife. do?
8: There's only two times in the movie that the cook and the maid get along, and it's when Mary Poppins is doing fun, crazy stuff and during Sister Suffragette when they mm. start singing along. Mm. so
0: are They support it. It's at yes. very Solidarity. least mildly
9: framed as making women get along. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and from a feminist point of view, I would say that it's got the, the elements of Mrs Banks and Mary and to a smaller extent the, the service staff being able to do the things that they are good at.
7: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're clearly soldiers
8: in petty coats and dauntless crusaders for women's
3: votes. Though we adore men individually,
2: we agree that as a group they're rather stupid. Cast off the shackles of yesterday Shoulder to shoulder into the fray Our daughters' daughters will adore us And they'll sing in grateful chorus Well done, sister suffragette
0: The reason that uh, Mrs. Banks is a suffragette, which is something that, uh, at least in the film, we don't know how historically accurate this is. We don't know if it's on the tapes. Um, P.L. Travers objected to. She said, well, she wanted to be a silly suffragette. They had to give her something to do so that she wasn't there to look after the kids. And it had to be important enough to not make her seem negatively dismissive of her own children. It had to be worthy. And I don't think they were desperate to push forwards the uh, suffragette movement in terms of, like, this is our agenda. We're going to make sure that, that, that this is seen in a positive light. However, whether they intended to or not, watching it as a child and marching along to it, I was fully supportive of the suffragette movement before I even knew what a suffragette was. <laughs> and I've grown up to be pretty intensely feminist. So I'd say that whether they intended to be critical of the suffragette movement, clearly they didn't, because they, they, they were doing it to, to do quite the opposite, to give her something that, they, that would be considered worthy and understandable to a 60s audience who would just be asking one question, why aren't you taking care of your kids? If they wanted it to come off as positive, it worked for me. Mr Banks' song very well establishes him as fun to watch even with all of his flaws and pomposity. We invest early in him because of this. It's possible that Mr Banks would have come off as something of an ogre to children watching had he not come in singing this. He's made to look a fool in the film several times, so you laugh at him, he's kind of a a, a clown. But he's also, he scares the children, so he's kind of a mixed bag for a child viewer. But this song gives us... I mean, it's almost his I Want song. (laughs)
9: Mm. Yeah. Almost. It is his I want song,
0: but it's like, it's his I have, and I want this to be maintained.
9: Mm. But his, with with Mr Banks, you're presented with his cognitive dissonance early on in the film. He harps on about order and everything's got to be perfect and we're working towards a strong uh, country and everybody should like the what is it he says The the or I think Mary puts it the joy of adding up a balance sheet or something and you know my largely non-mathematical brain which nevertheless is moderately obsessed with spreadsheets
5: <laughs> 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 um,
9: goes.
5: There's, spreadsheet. there's
9: there's no joy in in adding up a balance sheet but it is something that you do persistently and obsessively in order to make yourself less anxious about other stuff it 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 puts things in nice neat orderly rows because when things are confused and chaotic and all over the place it's scary and that means that we see very early on that when things get out of the spreadsheet and start getting scattered around Mr Banks gets very easily confused and Mm -hmm. that makes me sympathetic towards him personally because i can see that what's motivating him is an undercurrent of fear um a, a lack of understanding of why he does the things he does and a moderate level of pressure that, about what he's got to accomplish And then he's got this sort of vague feeling that his children are going to end up going down the same path and so he's unhappy that they're not being prepared for that. So that all kind of feeds into making the empathy for him at the end not quite so out of left field. There's also this sense in his introduction that
8: up until recently he's been fairly effective at keeping the things that upset him gated away from the rest of his consciousness mm. like he says his house is in perfect order but it's literally horrifyingly disrupted
9: like on the hour by a cannon next door <laughs> uh, did you notice though how he completely ignores that when the cannon yeah. goes off and everything's shaking he moves with the mirror and doesn't even really seem to realize he's doing it yeah exactly that's my point
8: is that he doesn't even consciously recognize the things that have been disrupting what he wants to be a perfect existence until the point where well okay I'm here and the children are literally missing and we had the cops show up. It's because <laughs> and Admiral that's Boom it takes.
0: It's because Admiral Boom does it the same time every day and it's the yes. same result every day. It's mm. quantifiable. He's incorporated that chaos into his order. So
9: it feels normal.
0: Yeah.
8: Yes. He yeah. can only handle certain kinds of chaos but he can't accept that there is going to be chaos
0: regardless the children are impunctual in their being all over the place
10: yeah
0: (laughs) one of yeah one of the things about
10: the life i lead that um works so well is that it exhibits how david tomlinson is a master of both very subtle facial expression and also patter songs I mean, I think Rex Harrison is probably the only person I think better at Patter songs than David Tomlinson is.
7: At least until now. <laughs> yes. We do have a lot of empathy for him because I get the strong sense from that opening opening song that he does love his children. And he's he's being the best father in the way he knows how. He at least loves the
10: idea of his children.
7: Yes. Yes. <laughs>
10: yeah. He doesn't consider them to be a nuisance, he just doesn't really know who
0: they are. Yes, they're the also, representational artifacts <laughs> of his perfect life. Yeah. And I use the word perfect correctly here. Yeah. Yes, you do.
7: Also, as and I can counter what you said a little bit, Sharon, just in the fact that I, I sympathize. I also personally sympathize with Mister Banks in that I am someone who loves numbers and spreadsheets, <laughs> and adding up a balance sheet can be incredibly satisfying for a certain kind of person. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is why I married her, folks
7: <laughs> So
0: romantic Someone to do the yeah. books um, it's, it's definitely a bonus between me and Sharon Because I hate uh, spreadsheets I like spreadsheets about like which soul-caliber characters Turn up in which game Which I painstakingly <laughs> crafted today But I hate spreadsheets on numbers I waste my time In, in very useful ways I waste my time in very useful ways.
9: <laughs> I was going to say while we're on the subject of patter songs, Dan Castellaneta did a pretty good one.
0: Around the house. I honestly the um if you wish to be I, It's no no, sorry. If
9: you wish to be our sitter. <laughs> you can't not hear it, can the you? The Mary
0: Poppins song where it's like oh, what's, how does it go the nanny something if you wish to be our nanny. Please,
9: please.
8: Oh, the bird. Um, nanny. If you wish to be a nanny.
0: No, it's not huh?
2: Help us with math and book reports. Might I add eat my shorts Bart! Just
9: cutting through the treagle. Hang on right. Um If you want this choice position, position. have the please please this and position. And position. Never yes.
0: Okay. That friggin' Simpsons episode means that I can't watch. That th- I've seen the film a hundred times and the Simpsons episode 50 times, but I can't watch that scene without overlaying it with the... Hurry,
2: nanny, things are grim. I'll do it! Anyone but him.
0: What I will add uh, regarding this song is it gives us a lovely, jaunty Rogers and Hammerstein style, like, this is things going great so that when things really aren't going great at the end and they can reprise it in a sad way, you've got to grind, grind, grind at the grindstone. It's very clear that something's broken now. Mm -hmm. To even a child, like, they'll remember that song and go, oh, it's not working for Dad anymore.
9: Mm. But that's the the fundamental essence of Mr Banks' arc. Although, yes, the chaotic events in the bank when Jane and Michael come in do cause him great consternation fundamentally nothing changes it's just his perception of oh wait actually this doesn't make me happy i thought this made me happy i'd had it drilled into me that this should make me happy and now i've kind of had my eyes open to the fact that it doesn't
0: so mary poppins enters the home and uh, i've got very little questions about mary herself it's very difficult to describe julie andrews as poppins simply because she's so, it's beyond iconic. What's the term? She is Poppins. Yeah. Mythological. Mythological. To the point where I, it would be one of the most intimidating roles to pick up in the world, and I respect Emily Blunt for giving it a go, whatever comes of it. you know. It, it To the point where I'd seen it enough times that from now on, whenever I watch The Sound of Music, as much as I like The Sound of Music a lot, it's still Mary Poppins' Doing the sound of music, so that when in the Princess diaries that 's an aged Mary Poppins as uh, on, on the throne of Andalasia, and I yeah. just love her how oh, best to describe it, elegance and courtliness she has a, a a gentleness about her, Julie Andrews, which comes from somewhere very, very genuine i 've never seen her once be mean about anyone be uh reproachful in a way that's not just very very human and just like i'm grumpy because of this in a sort of a grandma way
2: now first of all one handles a fan very deliberately it's a tremendous tool of communication that's it you can say things like uh, i'm feeling flirtatious come hither you can say i never wish to speak to you again go away you can say I'm feeling terribly shy today. Are you sassing your grandma? I would never sass you, grandma. I oh, promise. this is also a way of showing your annoyance. <laughs> she comes vaguely
8: close when accepting uh, it's either her Golden Globe or her Oscar for Mary Poppins. And oh, she yes.
0: That's pointed. Very, out.
8: very snarkily thanks the man who did not hire her for um, My Fair Lady
0: yeah Jack Warner she said thank you very much to the man who made such a a wonderful movie to make this all possible Jack Warner and because My Fair Lady had been winning awards all night everyone turned and laughed because they realised what she meant was thank you for snubbing me for the role I made on the London stage I'm
9: sorry but it's a fact Uh,
0: in favour of uh, the lovely Audrey Hepburn Um, and, and you know I accept graciously this award for Mary Poppins which will be immortal from now on, as is Eliza Doolittle, but Mary Poppins makes children love her in a way that Eliza Doolittle doesn't in any way near as much numbers.
8: And she didn't have to be dubbed. Audrey oh, Hepburn's you know? Do you, yeah, know what, Jack, do
0: you know what, Jack? I can do my own singing, so...
8: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be fair to Aubrey Hepburn, My Fair Lady Eliza Doolittle is an incredibly difficult performance, like, not a lot of people can actually do it.
10: And she did.
7: Let's be honest here. She did the performance part very excellently. Yeah. Excellent. She did, did the performance part excellently. And for all it, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was upsetting to be snubbed that way, but no one else could have played Mary Poppins. Like, I, I don't think, I cannot imagine, and, and Emily Blunt is, like, pitch-perfect casting, I think. Hmm. But I'm like, Julie Andrews does something, like you said, Alex, I can't even really describe how transcendent her performance is. It's, <laughs> it's just you watch it and oh my God. Yeah.
0: It's a, It comes from a generous and perfectly cast cast as well. Everyone is in awe of Mary from snap from the word go. And she is so authoritative that she commands every scene. Ergo, all eyes are on Mary the whole time. And she does, you could, again, with your if you're being inquiring, you can interpret quite a bit of her behavior as negative desolous but angry and tired asks as a kid I wondered what characterization purposes her mirror talking skills have she and her reflection don't seem to like each other much what does that say about Mary so for this we have to be fully inquiring and consider that her reflection is not just what a reflection is to you and I it is some form or fragment of her so any answers folks?
9: I have a theory and my theory okay. is this. It could be money. Anyway. It could be bunnies. <laughs> I am inferring quite a lot here. We I have will to for concede this kind of that because you actually only get the mirror talking scene once or twice.
0: Cheeky. Which, by the way, again, you can interpret that as, as just a throwaway joke because it was Julie Andrews' idea to say cheeky to her reflection Mm,
9: indeed but this is coming from various sources um, including Terry Pratchett's theory on witches and mirrors (laughs) and Uh it comes from the fact that Mary carries a large mirror, which she replaces an existing small mirror with, and says so she likes to be able to see her whole face at once. But then she takes out a little hand mirror and primps herself in that as well. Mm. I think the mirror is where Mary keeps the traits of herself that she's not that keen on, including vanity. Vanity.
0: Definitely yes. my favourite sin.
9: So that, that <laughs> person in the mirror that she is talking to is is herself but it is a less practically perfect in every way version of herself.
0: She doesn't keep all her vanity yeah. in there. She literally just described herself as practically perfect in every way and was very pleased about it.
9: <laughs> well, <laughs> well that's that's the, the, exactly, that's, what that's, what that's tape my tape point. Said. <laughs>
0: that's what the tape measure said, that's not her.
9: That's coming from a third party. As far
0: point. as sins yeah. go, it's probably one of the least harmful.
10: Mm. Indeed. Oh, yeah. And it's- sure, and I, I agree. I was thinking the exact same thing because I just finished *Witches Abroad* a couple of weeks <laughs> ago. So that was that was exactly where I was going with that too. Yep. Uh, my other thought is perhaps the mirror version is the book version of *Mary Poppins* and P.L. Travers' disapproval of.
0: The movie it's watching
10: through.
0: <laughs> I say that that comes off as shockingly naive. That they like, oh, uh, vanity's not too harmful. Oh, gluttony ain't too harmful. Vanity mixed with the right levels of toxic pride, you could become president because you you got your feelings hurt by a snarky comment about turning the White House into a Vegas casino. And you could wreck the fucking world doing that.
9: T- to be fair, it's a spectrum, and vanity and narcissism aren't quite the same thing. Yeah. Isn't narcissism vanity. just vanity
0: on steroids? <laughs> uh, vanity on crack?
9: <laughs> There's, there, there are elements of vanity in it, Okay, I suppose. We're
0: going down a rabbit hole we here, folks. We are a bit, yes. Okay, let's move on, because we're an hour and 22 minutes in, and we're in, uh, like, minute 12 of the film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I suppose a but angry and tired. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't read too much into the whole mirror thing. I think it was just a whoop little moment uh, that uh, was meant to make you feel like this woman was not... Totally human, and certainly, th- there's theories that Mary isn't quite on this plane, and she watches, uh, it looks into the mirror to um, kind of identify a version of herself that's that's in there, but is also not on this plane.
8: Mm. There's a kind of dualism to a lot of her character, where she's on the one hand the very strict nanny, and the other hand the very fun. Yeah, like magical being, and I think it's just a nice shorthand for that in a lot of
0: ways. But it's not a carefully considered subtext in the no. way that a modern film trying to do something might very overtly do that.
2: The honey bees that fetch the nectar from the flowers to the comb never tire of ever buzzing to and fro because they take a little nip from every flower that they sip. And hence, and hence, they find, they find, their task is not a
0: Cheeky. <laughs> Gamer Hushu asks, Mary Poppins has always been very off-putting for me. She is characterised as being flawless, with her only negative trait being that she resists silly things. Apart from vanity, dude. Um, (laughs) Why do you think I am so extremely put off while others love her? Or do I just misunderstand the story? It's a fair question.
9: To say that she's characterised as being flawless... I think it's to see it very much from Jane and Michael's perspective.
0: When she says she's practically perfect in every so, way, it but, must be true.
9: But that's the point. She's She is flawless in the limited capacity that they get to understand her and be around her. She is flawless because she leaves. Maybe you're perfect right now. Maybe you don't want to fuck that up. Hmm. She, there is there. It is even stated. I should have put at the a language warning at the beginning of this one. Sorry, I probably shouldn't <laughs> swear in a Mary Poppins movie.
0: Sweary Poppins. <laughs>
9: <laughs> but the when when it gets to the end and she says, um, "What would happen to me if I loved all the children I had to say goodbye to?" Yeah. We know perfectly well that what she's saying is, "Yes, I do love all the children I have to say goodbye to," and it breaks my heart. That, and that gutted me. Yeah, oh, and broke record. Exactly, and when and then at the end, when she's talking to the umbrella and she says, "Practically perfect people never allow sentiment to muddle their thinking." Her, the wistfulness in her expression gives away the truth of that sentence. And then, just in case anybody missed it, the parrot says it out loud. You don't fool me, yeah. Mary Poppins. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that that.
0: So she's another sort of like repressed person that we want to see showing exactly, some love.
9: Exactly. The idea of her being characterised as being flawless, she's not characterised as being actually flawless. She's being characterised as portraying herself as flawless because she needs to to be able to do her job.
0: It's also important to remember that both Poppins, as she appears here and in the books, and Banks, as he appears here and in the books, they're from Travers, Travers was a very objectionable person to to know. She was very uh, controlling and proper. And she had a lot of the negative aspects of both Mary and uh, George. Mm-hmm. So, And those were almost caricatured by the people who had met her in the production team mm-hmm. to, uh, in, in how they portrayed uh, uh, the book. So I could actually understand exactly why you might find Mary Poppins quite off-putting. Because mm-hmm. a lot of that imported character flaws... You know, are kind of genuinely objectionable. It's that she has these flaws, and the movie doesn't acknowledge them. As far as the movie's concerned, Mary Poppins can do no wrong, and she knows best. That's extremely comforting for children, but as a story told to adults, there's a part of us inside that rails against the very idea. Especially with the building blocks of modern storytelling, we want those flaws to be acknowledged. You know, the inconsistent veering between extreme disapproval and condoning. The fact that she's evasive and emotionally manipulative. You know, Jardis the White Witch does the same thing in The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. But for her own insidious reasons. Certain kids may have, when watching this film, picked up on what they interpreted as deception.
1: Tell me, Edmund. Are oh, your sister's deaf? No. And
5: your
2: brother, is he... ...unintelligent? Well, I think so. The mum says... Then how
9: dare you come alone? And also no. the fact that she avoids the subject. So many times she spouts these little homilies throughout the film, and I, I made a note a few of, of a few of them, but stuff like the never judge things by their appearance, a thing of beauty is a joy forever, which kind of contradicts the never judge things by their appearance. But
0: a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. Well begun, it. it's half done
9: <laughs> Enough is as good as a feast I know what that means But it just, it, it feels a lot of the time like She doesn't want to actually have to have a, a conversation with somebody So she just spouts some little saying And, and that's the end of it
0: Michael and Jane start being inquiring She's goat's butt, birds fly And children need to shut the hell up and go to bed <laughs> Or something along those lines
9: <laughs> Mary needs to have her gin
0: Yeah. (laughs) So yeah. So yeah. She's withholding. So again, these are not like you know she's she's characterised within the film as being flaws. But if you look and if you inquire, there's there's a lot in there that makes her quite disagreeable as a person. Just because everyone fawns over her in the context of the film. I mean, George is baffled by her and actually finds her really quite difficult when it comes down to it. I can
8: see why, if you picked up on the, like, objectionable parts of her character on a less noticeable subconscious level, and everybody in the movie is, like, in love with this character, Mm. how you could just grow to really resent them. Yeah. Like, as a watcher.
10: She's a Mary Sue
8: Poppins!
2: I don't care!
10: Um. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's also a certain amount of... Trying to pin down Mary Poppins as a character is a... Difficult thing to do because she's not specifically a character. She is a force of nature. She is an inciting incident. She doesn't... Her arc is very, very shallow, if there at all. It would be like questioning the character of Jurassic Park. Hmm. You know, Mr. Park? Mr. (laughs) Jurassic Park?
8: (laughs) (laughs) She's an agent of chaos of sorts, but not the kind that has much of a deeper reason for introducing chaos besides this is what's necessary yeah
10: she is the east wind
7: Indeed. yeah what's and the
10: blowing everything about
7: what's the line from sound of the the song um from sound of music how do you solve a problem like maria how do you catch a cloud and pin it down and the the kid i can't the lyrics are escaping me at the hand? yeah yeah that exactly <laughs> that
9: exactly. But she is also a witch, and witches defy being pinned down and defined. And every time you think you've got it, they'll change it just so that you're wrong. Mm.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. I also think it's important to note that um, while everyone seems to fawn over uh, Mary, the one who does it the most is Bert, who is besotted with her. And the whole, you know, the animated sequence, uh, he, Bert really wanted to get some time alone with Mary so that he could romance her. And yeah,
9: I have a wondering Uh that once upon a time, Mm -hmm. Bert was a little boy that Mary came and looked after.
0: I suppose she, you know, could have worked for a very, very impoverished family and said, you know, I I shall work for tuppence if I must, I must. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it makes kind of sense that Bert would uh, idolize her and then maybe meet her again. As he becomes a young man And then maybe this is the third time he's met her And he's like, right, this time I really am going to try To to romance her Using my goofball Dancing tricks
9: Oh my god, yeah. you know how I said Jokingly And so Mary Poppins finds herself Leaping from life, life to life. life You just described trilogy
0: Yep, that is a quantum leap uh, rather, a, rather a good Quantum leap uh, uh, sub- a plot, but Bert dancing with the penguins, penguins, <laughs> and considering <laughs> Jean Kelly dancing with first Jerry the mouse in Anchors Away, and then Stewie Griffin in one of Family Guy's only true, pure moments of actual joy. These have a profound effect on me. I seem to have a soft spot for gifted tap dancers dancing with cartoons.
9: Where do you stand on Paula Abdul and?
0: The cat. the cat. DJ Scat Cat.
9: That's the one. <laughs> it's not
0: the same. It's not quite the no. same. No. Like I mean, <laughs> I did love that song when I was a kid. We to
5: stop, resist, thought, ah,
2: we could be
0: For the younger listeners, this is a music video about Paula Abdul, the woman who wants to have sex with a cartoon cat. The self-proclaimed Scat Cat. So... Not touching that one, mm. but uh, it's it's Everybody. not the same as I mean it's not tap dancing. No, that's true. Yeah, but uh, I don't especially love tap dancing. But you throw a cartoon character in there, and you just make that whimsy. Uh, for some reason, that just hits a beat with me. Possibly just because of watching Mary Poppins that much. Um, also, mm. I, I have to add with the like the the, the constant compositing of animation and uh, uh, studio backgrounds that they actually put together this whole. Um, Hybrid sequence with um, that once the the penguins turn up, crested penguins, and and start all dancing in choreographed but mismatched time. It's the opposite of a disco gag, because a disco gag, and the reason a disco gag bothers me is they just program a very rote series of movements into a bunch of CGI character skeletons, and they just do the disco dance for the kids. They've stopped just doing that now. It's been so long of doing the same thing. They have to actually elaborate on it a bit more. They have to commit to the joke. So hopefully I won't have to complain about it anymore, because it's just so bloody obvious and straightforward and simple and boring to make 3D animated characters' disco dance, but when you're doing it 2D animated, you got to put work into every single flipper movement of those penguins. Penlings.
8: Especially when you have to work around a human actor who's doing things on screen that the animator can't control, which... Yeah. The animators apparently had a heck of a time getting the penguins in places where they weren't going to just get kicked in
9: the face by a Dick Van Dyke <laughs> yeah. His I legs about as
0: if independent from his just body.
9: embrace it and do some scenes where the ke- penguins get kicked across the screen. Well, no, you yeah, can't, because the then, then he's scenes.
0: kicking them without caring.
10: Jason Isaacs um, did that in um, Chamber of <laughs> Secrets. He was not used to working with... Dobby. Um, with Dobby, yeah. So he would just start bashing Dobby around and the animators would have to later put that
0: in. That's just evil, and perfectly evil, and in character. Chris Columbus was
10: asking him, like, what'd you just do? Like, I just kicked him.
0: (laughs) Because I'm evil, Chris. What? What
10: (laughs) The
8: actors in this movie do an absolutely, insanely good job dealing with animated characters, considering they have to be some of the first human beings to have to do that kind of performance, with, like, nothing to work off of, like, People it's, have a trouble with that now in CG characters. I can't imagine getting your head around it hmm. before you even knew what they were going to do.
0: If you listen yeah. to the commentary, it's delightful when you get to the supercalifragilisticexpialidocious song. Uh, when you hear uh, Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke on their part of the commentary, uh, when, once they get through the song on screen and they get to the really, really fast bit... Uh, Julie sort of res- responds with a "We were crisp back then,"
5: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> just to describe how, like, really on point the coordinated singing is because they had to. Like, it's it's such a crazy nonsense song. You can't be out of time with it, and and, and it's, it's a tongue twister in itself.
8: The more absurd the lyrics, the more difficult they are to memorize, and the more important it is you get it correct.
10: Hmm. In yeah, in musical the theater. Yeah, they didn't have the advantage of being children raised on Mary Poppins, to yeah. which that word is such a common, is so common, so easy
0: to say now. Yeah, yeah.
8: I still can't say it backwards.
0: Dorsia Saliax Pius Franci Cali Rupus.
2: Maybe <laughs> having you the accent. Helps.
8: But
0: that's going a bit too far, <laughs> wouldn't you say?
2: We travel all Word and all would say there goes a clever gent.
6: When Dukes and Ma or Rogers pass a time of day with me, I say me special
5: word and then they ask me out to tea. <laughs> Super Calabrese Lispy, it's me Even though the sound of it is
2: something quite a If you say it loud enough, you'll always have <laughs> <some laughs> the quotient. Super Calabrese Lispy,
5: it's
2: me Allerdosian. You can say it backwards, Mm -hmm. but that's going a bit too far, don't you think? Mm -hmm. So when the cat has got your tongue, there's no need for dismay. Just summon up this word and then you've got a lot to say. But better use it carefully or it could change your life. For example? Uh, Yes?
3: One night I said it to me girl and now me girl's me wife. You bastard! Uh, Oh, and a lovely thing she is too. Jeez. Super colorful costumes to kicks for Super colorful costumes to kicks for yalla dolcha Super colorful costumes to kicks for yalla dolcha
0: Back to Mary Poppins one of my favorite favorite practical effects to the point where I don't know how they did it and that's why I love it I was watching it we rewound it I watched it again And I think it's all to do with doing it in camera, because, of course, all effects back in those days were pretty much done in camera. Uh, And the reaction of the little girl playing uh, Jane, uh, Karen Dotteris, it's the medicine. It's such a little thing, but uh, Mary pours out three spoonfuls for Jane and Michael and herself, and it comes out a different colour each time. And um, Jane goes, ah! Because the actress had not been told that that was going to happen. And uh, little Michael doesn't notice or seemingly doesn't make a sound. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's just such a, a wonderful moment of, yeah, something crazy just happened. You don't know how it happened, and then moving on. And during the um, we love to laugh scene... They changed how they were doing it repeatedly for different effects. So it was like, you know, sometimes the room is upside down, sometimes they're up on wires, sometimes they're on a bouncy thing, sometimes it's chroma key. And they changed it enough that every time uh, you viewed a, a shot, you th- think to yourself, well, they're just doing it like this. The next shot would confound that expectation. Mm, And you'd uh go, hang on a second, that doesn't count. And then the next shot, again, you'd be like, well, that doesn't count either. And eventually, after a few shots, you'd just kind of lose yourself to it and buy it. The Lord of the Rings movies were done like that, and the Hobbit movies were not.
8: They really weren't. (laughs) No. Yeah. And it shows. The the effects in these, I, I was taking those notes repeatedly, that they look so good, even the, like, matte painting stuff occasionally it wasn't until i watched some of the behind the scenes things that i realized that a good chunk of admiral Boom's house was just a matte painting Mm. um, (laughs) behind the house because i just assumed they built some stuff onto the set because why wouldn't they and when i was a kid i thought they
0: filmed it in london i was like well they went to a very smoky victorian-y edwardian looking (laughs) bit of it it's
9: the same bit of it that they went to for um Deathly Hallows. Yeah,
0: it's in California. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone got really hot, especially the chimney sweeps. Sorry,
9: aside from a couple of rubber
8: keys, it's very yeah. amazing consistently. The, yeah,
0: these days, and as an adult, you can you can see the 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 hallmarks of. Um... Actually, we were watching some of the behind the scenes stuff, and they were walking across the rooftops, and it looked clearer and like it had just been filmed yesterday because it was their native film upscaled to Blu-ray. And it looked fantastic and I realised that it looked better than the original film because for the film they had to do the Blade Runner thing where they take one element and then another element and then another element and just keep refilming until all of these parallel layers mesh together.
7: The thing that counters, part of what counters the fact that Mary's perfect is the fact that she pours herself some medicine. Mm Mm-hmm. And number Uh, one, she says it's, what was it, rum punch? Rum punch. punch.
0: Yeah, Yeah, but she like closes her eyes and goes... (laughs) Ooh. Like yeah. that, that uh, that leads to worrying questions about uh, Mary's alcohol dependency. It's yeah, colossal should, uh, for what happens uh, to we, Mary afterwards.
9: Yeah, but rum punch well, is whilst, like I didn't, I didn't know what the away. joke
10: was, so I I just made a joke like Ah, oh, brandy, and then rum punch like Ah, oh. <laughs> there we go.
9: But
7: it it also speaks to the fact that Mary recognizes her own flaws. Hmm. You know, she's she's and is adult enough to in some capacity admit that she has them she needs to not outwardly admit that to the children but
9: as a person she's honest enough with herself to recognize that she has flaws she's not just going around dosing everybody else she takes her medicine herself yeah. exactly exactly i like it by she's
7: leading by example in that case
0: this leads on to uh, the, uh, first off, the gaslighting moment, but we've already covered that. Then the Feed the Birds moment. Um, and I always loved this song, and I found there was a, there's a bit of the song, a moment when they could just finish, and it was just like, well, that's a nice song. It's Feed the Birds, tuppence a bag, tuppence, tuppence, tuppence a bag.
2: Though her words are simple and few, Listen, listen, she's calling to you. Feed the birds, tuppence a bag. Tuppence, tuppence, tuppence
0: a bag. And then it could just stop. But it doesn't. It comes in with this clamorous... Like really hard hitting, kind of uh, this, this grandiose. Uh, like it's it, it's showing the cathedral, and I thought immediately of the Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's something about the bridge of that part of the song, and the showing this but this architecture bearing down on London at night. It it just makes you feel. At least, at least it makes me feel like there's more going on here. There's something mm. else that we're not aware of. And what Mary's laying down for the children is bigger than their world at this point. And she's leading them towards something pretty weighty. And I think the, the song sells it at that point more than any other point before or after.
9: that you are panning up St Paul's Cathedral very specifically the fact that this this person is surrounded by birds and there's a lot of birds as a metaphor for poor people in this film you've got the penguins as your your service class Mm. you've got the pigeons surrounding the lady with the breadcrumbs Mm. Uh, you've got the the, the robins feathering their nest exactly yeah
0: uh-huh. Very little time to rest.
9: Yeah, exactly. But it's there's all a sense of you're poor but you're free. And that ties in with Bert's I do what I like and I like what I do as well. And it's a little bit of a naive perception of the lower classes which I think Because
0: for a lot of the time poverty is a cage.
9: Well Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and yes, yeah. it's, it's you know, I, but but at the same time, I think the way it's so Don't
0: believe the bullshit from Titanic,
9: worked, where it's yeah. brilliant.
0: Being steerage
9: pulled.
8: is awesome. <laughs> it's just yeah. everything. Yeah. That Bert isn't. <laughs> yeah, that Bert had Mary Poppins as a nanny, not because he she oh was going to this poor family, but Bert is just like some trust fund kid who decided yeah. to go be, play with the
9: poor people. Let M- Mary decide he wanted his his to life. be a chimney sweep. Yes, I so love Bert it. Bert is
0: common people by pulp. Oh my, okay. ex-
9: oh my God, that would explain the accent.
0: Okay. There we go. Cannon, it's all put on. Cannon. As soon as he speaks, he'll be as posh as Mary.
9: Um, but the, the authenticity that Andrews has when she sings this song makes it, heartbreaking and the the fact as I said that it's it's kind of there in front of St Paul's Cathedral the way it kind of makes me think about it is you know how sparrows get used a lot in the Bible Uh yes and it's it's usually in reference to a sense of like sparrows are dirt poor they have nothing and yet God loves all of them and, and will take care of all of them. So what makes you think he's going to do any less for you? Mm-hmm. So that you're then looking at one of the wealthiest religious buildings in the UK. Almost seem to be a little bit of a, it's sort of the, the duty to take care of people at the bottom of the ladder.
10: Yeah, it's a song about charity and how easy it is to be, to love. Mm. It only takes tuppence to be kind to birds in this case, but of course, and to the poor, by by way of metaphor.
9: Mm. You've you've got that juxtaposed with... The the owner of the bank at the end where he's kind of wanting to hoard that tuppence and saying that if you put it in the bank, it will turn into something magnificent. Well, if you feed somebody with it, it will turn into something magnificent too. It might not necessarily last long, but it's magnificent in the moment.
10: One of the ways that, again, the Sherman Brothers just did a great job with this was by writing that song in E minor and this minor key has that sense of sadness um, that comes with it, with being poor, but the lyrics make it... St- essentially, the lyrics are encouraging you to relieve that. They want to find that sort of tone that's going to shift it into a more positive, more major key.
0: So like the Chris- uh, Christmas Carol, then?
10: Yeah, very much so. It's it's the same key that Greensleeves is in, actually.
8: Yes, it's got a very distinctive... Um... Tone, but also a majesty to it that isn't uh, pitying in any way. There's a tendency on occasion for, oh, you should be charitable to be kind of framed in a way that's condescending, and it's very clearly not posed that way in this song. It's very, I don't know, warm,
7: maybe the way I would say it,
10: empathetic.
8: Yes, that's probably <laughs> what I'm looking for.
7: Well, I think I think part of something we should mention related to this is the fact that this is specifically aimed at the the two kids in the story who are growing up and probably always will be at least somewhat affluent. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, be aware of what's around you and try to be compassionate towards others. Which, again, yes, it, it does come off as a rather naive thing, but I think... The important lesson there is compassion and empathy and and that song gets that across
10: yeah and of course Mr. Banks when they do see the bird lady he it's as if he has never noticed her before but of course she's there
7: yeah
0: I don't know if they intended this, but the fact that she's on the steps of St. Paul's is kind of important. The The church is supposed to be faith, hope, and charity. The church is, is one of their charges, especially for yes. a cathedral as grand as this, is to look after the people who can't look after themselves. And the church isn't giving her anything. It falls to the people walking by to give yeah. her some money to feed the birds. Oh she sets up an opposition for them uh, a, a an ethical quandary to uh, to have to then go through and uh, and that leads to the, the, the upset at the bank. Uh, I've got no particular notes on uh, anything aside from the fact that Dick Van Dyke in his performance as Dawes Senior, when you're a kid, you just don't know. So they even play with you at the end where they rearrange his name to say, oh yeah, this this guy was yeah. Dick Van Dyke. Yeah. But he Not wasn't even originally kid. cast in that role. He asked Walt Disney if he could have a go for it, and uh, it, it they, they, they ended up letting him. It's, it's, it's fantastic fun to watch.
7: That scene terrified me as a child. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's in an- Intimidating as I'll get out. Mm. It it just these adults looming over him and it telling in the way adults often do that they know what's best for you and mm. da right. da da and like trying to pressure you into something that you're not comfortable with. And it oh god that it, scene just yeah. ugh, I still have chills when I think about my reaction as a yeah. kid.
10: That scene I had seen previous to this you know just it clipped out of uh context and i'll admit fidelity fiduciary bank actually sort of got me i'm like wow trains in africa fleets of ships that sounds
0: awesome colonialism
10: yay (laughs) yeah he is great
0: well that sounds like just a great empire that i'd love to be a part of
10: (laughs) yeah
6: exactly Can purchase first and second trust deeds. Think of the foreclosures, bonds, chattels, dividends, shares,
5: bankruptcies, get or opportunities,
2: all manner of private enterprise,
5: shipyards, the
2: mercantile, collieries, canneries,
3: amalgamations. Yes. You see, Michael,
4: Chubbins, patiently, cautiously. Trustingly invested in love To be specific in
5: the doors Tones, mousely grunts Fidelity fiduciary
0: Luke Hatfield, is Step in Time a completely pointless seven-minute detour?
9: Yes. No. No.
0: (laughs) No, it's a completely pointless 14-minute detour.
8: Everything in this movie is a detour.
0: That's true. Yeah. Okay, it's very like, yeah. episodic. Okay, explain it's, why it's, it's a not. musical. Yes.
8: It's a it's dense numbers are inherently detours from like a traditional filmmaking perspective. You could just as easily say 90% of Jolly Holiday is a detour. It just depends on your taste in long-winded dance and musical numbers the showcase of the skills on set for step in time sells me on it but i can see people being exhausted by it i didn't like it
10: when i was a small child because it bored me it's one of those does it advance character story in the slightest no no it does not however just exhibiting joy is motive enough for a seven minutes segue, as far as I'm concerned, just be joyful for a little bit. It's basically, I'd say 90% of the uh, songs in any musical movie from the 40s mm. is just a segue, a joyful segue to show off how talented the stars are. And quite frankly, I also like that step in time, when they were yeah, you know, when they were putting together this music, they didn't know what was going to catch and what wasn't. And step in time draws from nursery rhyme uh, patter to make it easier for kids to jump into. It's always that four syllables: something, something, step in time. <laughs> and I like, I like what they also, keep doing with that. Yeah, votes for women, step in time, Mary Poppins, step, ti- <laughs> like step, step in time, etc. It's the most. Like a step in time. <laughs> I also yeah. think
8: the. Um you kind of need at least a significant amount of time to raise the absurdity up to the point where them doing all of this stuff in the house and hitting the climax like the culminating moment for uh the whole disaster to kind of hit its peak you can't just go from we're on the roof and then 2 seconds later they're in the house screaming at Mrs. Banks and everybody's running around there has to be some kind of Build up, or else that would feel weirder than it already does.
0: That, that yeah, there does need to be something definitely.
7: It's a segue, I think. I think it's It in many ways, it's kind of the end of the really ridiculous stuff in the movie, and I think it. It's kind of okay. We we know we have to leave this behind. And, but let's do it in grand fashion.
10: Yeah. Plus, you also get to see Banks realize that he has totally lost control of his house. This is Mm -hmm. the, this is as opposite of his dream of the life he leads of anything in the film at this point. And I think Mackenzie is right that you really did need to build up to that.
8: You have to build up to the pores being in the house. Exactly,
10: yeah. And that way we can switch. That way we can transfer the life I lead to a man has dreams,
7: and it sets him up for like his later revelations that are that are still coming. Uh,
0: I don't find the scene objectionable. It was my one of my favorite scenes as a kid, and uh, it's it's got some fantastic dance moments in it. All of the like they deliberately tried to make it dangerous. The jumping between the rooftops and the falling down and 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 like grabbing the ledges with their with their. Th- their, their toes was uh, yeah it still is genuinely acrobatically impressive uh it's mm-hmm. i think it's just the point where the, the the film reaches a fever pitch of this is not actually what the world is like and then we get slammed back home to this is actually what the world is like with what george then has to deal with mm-hmm.
7: well and i i think it's it's important to bring up the fact that michael is like he's worrying about his face being dirty and bert says oh it's just good clean soot and i think i think what they are aiming for again yes very naive but i think what they are trying to glorify glorify here is that this is honest work and that to appreciate someone again aimed at these children who are very affluent appreciate someone doing honest work as it's opposed to trying to balance.
10: steal tuppence from
7: children. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
8: It's a difficult balance between glorifying being poor and showing that all work is valuable and that the people aren't lesser for doing it. Yes. And this movie falls hard on the side of, isn't this fun? But they're trying, and I like that they're trying.
6: Yeah. Up where the smoke is all billowed and curled, between pavement and stars is the chimney sweep world When there's hardly no day, nor hardly no night There's things off in shadow, and off way in light On the rooftops of London
0: Holly Hulk asks, "What do you think the overarching narrative is trying to say—the moral or point of the narrative—and how well do you think it executes it?" So, during the scene where Bert sings back to us, he, he, it's, uh, it, it's a reprise of the um, of George Banks' earlier song. Uh, it's a it's a man to man song because it's about how hard men have to work and it's something that would not connect to him George if Mary had dared to be so impertinent. If she came downstairs and started singing this exact song in this exact way and commiserating with him it would have felt weird in the film and to George he would have rejected it but to some reason with Bert who's you know spent a few minutes buttering him up it, it seems to connect. Banks looks directly at us the audience and I think that's where this film really pulls back its punch and lets us have it. The third act is George. The, it's, it's all Tomlinson uh, and his uh, dramatic arc suddenly coming to a very heated point. And th- there's something unnerving about a, a, a character looking nakedly at us while they're having their life torn down not having the decency to, to, uh, uh, to look ever so slightly to one side or, or, or you know, to, to, to stare at themselves in the mirror.
4: A man has dreams of walking with giants to carve his niche in the edifice of time before the mortar of his zeal has a chance to congeal the cup is dashed from his lips. The flame is snuffed burning. He's brought to wreck and ruin in his prime. You're a man of high position, esteemed
6: by your peers. And when your little tights are crying, you haven't time to dry their tears. And see them grateful little faces, Smiling up at you, because their dad, he always knows just what to do. What you say, Governor? You've got to grind, grind, grind at that grindstone. Though childhood slips like sand through a sieve. And all too soon they've up and grown And then they've flown And it's too light for you to give
0: so that after that, George receives his call and walks from his home like the portrait of an Englishman bravely travelling to his execution. And I never noticed this before, but he stops at the steps of St. Paul's and is actively looking for the bird woman. He wants to carry out that little bit of good that Michael started. For some reason, I conflated the steps of the bank with the steps of St. Paul's and I just thought he was walking towards the bank. And I just didn't, as a kid, realise that this is what he was doing. He has the tuppence. But she isn't there. He's lost the opportunity, and the score reprises that grand, sorrowful bridge of Feed the Birds. It hits us again with that. See, what this film says to me is that everyone is struggling. No matter the show of strength and perfection and supreme order and control that they project, it's a spoonful of reality about the humanity and fallibility of our fathers who, when we are young, we feel are stronger than anyone we know, but invariably we end up burying their frail, receded forms after many, many long years of attempting to come to terms with their mistakes. Luckily for George, he realises what's important while in the bank and rushes home to spend time with his kids. A message that heartwarming family drama I just can't get enough of reiterating which I believe makes this film the ancestor of much of our formative entertainment in a way that Cinderella and Sleeping Beauty are not and that is why I concur with Dan's speculation that this is Walt's masterpiece
8: It's definitely a massively impactful finale and really brings together the idea that you just need to see the things that are right in front of you and that's probably one of the driving themes of the whole piece and I would say it's definitely one of the most successful things that Walt made in his entire career and possibly his magnum opus I would tend to maybe lean towards something in animation just because I feel like that's the thing that he Brought into existence But the combination of animation and, And live action Overlay That's in this film I think puts it safely into that category Anyways So
0: you could also, also say that the first really wonderful, truly excellent, timeless piece of animation that works more than any of the others before it is Beauty and the Beast, which he wasn't party to. Like, all everything he did up until that point. As much as I love The Little Mermaid, but Beauty and the Beast seems like if he could have made any film that to call his masterpiece, it probably would have been that one.
8: And I think Mary Poppins also... Shows a lot of different sides of what Walt Disney strived for in his work. It shows, yes, the some, it was something he fought a really long time for. It's uh, live action, which was something he wanted to do, but felt like he couldn't sometimes. It shows the skill of animation, but it also involves just huge amounts of technical expertise, and that was one of the huge driving forces of Walt Disney was breakthroughs in technology, in film, and he was a futurist in so many ways, and this film encapsulates so much of what makes Disney as a company and as a brand and his work
7: as special as it is. I think definitely yes, this is his magnum opus, and more than anything, watching this in conjunction with Saving Mr. Banks, which I cried. Movies almost never make me cry, and that movie made me cry. Now, I am fully aware that this is a take on it, and it's a very Disney-sympathetic take. So, taking it as to how much was true that was in that movie, well, but we do know that the part that is absolutely true is that Walt Disney did pursue her for the rights for 20 years or 18 or many years because of a promise he made to his daughter. And I suspect that the bit of him modeling Mr. Banks after his own father to a certain degree, I suspect that there's at least some truth to that. And I think it's his magnum opus in that... He poured himself into this movie more in a specific way than he did anything else he made. More of him shows on screen here than maybe even he intended. And I think there's a there's a bit more honesty here that than in and there's a lack of remove from this movie that isn't there in his other stuff, I suppose, if that makes sense. Mm. So yes, I would say yes, because it seems to be more personal to him than any of his other work.
10: I'm going to have to agree that this is probably the pinnacle of Walt Disney's work. Again, this was not something I grew up with, uh, but despite that, I had seen, I'd say, a good 75% of this film in bits and chunks over my life. And it's not something that will come up in conversation the way that a lot of other films were, like The like The Godfather might, or Citizen Kane. However, it is something that I think everybody has, after a certain period, has as a part of the background radiation of their lives. Even if they haven't seen it, even if they didn't uh, grow up with it, they still... Are aware of and in certain way touched by Mary Poppins. It's base a base part
7: of the pop culture soup that we we all grew up in, I suppose.
10: Exactly, and, and the fact that it is so taken for granted that it's just there that people somewhat forget about it, I think, speaks to how much it has shaped what we consider to be life and what we consider to be kind of proper behavior it's a movie about charity and love and about how you can express that love for your family and the people around you by doing for them but you must also be there for them and that just shines through and as much as I will probably never love this movie as much as Bedknobs and Broomsticks or Flight of the Navigator Candleshoe or any of the other ones that I actually did grow up with I absolutely believe that is probably the pinnacle of Walt's accomplishments and definitely his magnum opus.
7: I think it shows the best of Walt Disney as a person and what he was trying to put across as his image. And I think it, it's there's a lot of empathy and a lot of humanity in it. And I think that's part of what makes it so great.
8: And it happens so close to the or he came out at least, so close to the end of his life. So it's certainly hard to say what could have come after, but at least he went out on something this fantastic. Yeah. People make uh, their exits on much lower notes all the time.
0: You just make Chicken Little and then go, oh, the whole company's screwed, I'm going to die. Or basically every James Bond.
8: Or even just, I mean, I am fond of some of the animated films that are maybe less high quality than the very early stuff. But, I mean, even 101 Dalmatians isn't like like Magnum Opus. Mm. So, so, I mean, I'm glad it's this. Uh-huh. You
0: know, mm. It's sad. But. And like I said, modern day films, uh, which especially family films, tend to have... Something which is deceptively fun and twee and, uh, you know, uh, unrealistic and, and, and just, you know, <coughs> to draw you in. And then they'll hit you with an emotional whammy in the third act. Pixar does this all the time.
8: Dogs in little fire planes, but also his wife dies. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that makes Mary Poppins the predecessor of that in a way that, like, Cinderella doesn't follow those lights. Not at all. Yeah. The the early Walt Disney animation seemed to inspire each individual animation as it moved forwards, but it really wasn't until like honestly... I I
8: would argue that Pinocchio actually does have a little bit of that, but Pinocchio is this weird kind of shining high point in the early Disney films from
0: my perspective. But. As does Dumbo, actually. Dumbo makes you feel sad for elephants, but then they torture the elephants the whole way through, so it's... Uh, as do the Dumbo other was self-hating an, elephants.
8: Dumbo's just an hour of bullying a child.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's not just an hour of bullying a child, but, but there it is an, an hour, hour of bullying a child.
8: bullying a child. A child it?
0: <laughs> 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 yeah. But I mean, the Rescuers was the first um, uh, the Disney film in this series that we did that I actually felt genuinely emotionally affected by. It took that long, and, and it didn't even work for Dan. Dan was eh about it. He he likes the Rescuers Down Under. He craves for the
9: Rescuers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like either of them. That. Oh, fine, you philistine.
8: <laughs> I got hit at Pinocchio, so I'm not one to talk. And Bambi, actually. But, oh, of course, you know.
0: yeah, there is, there is Bambi. That's the one where Bambi goes, Oh, my mother's gone, and she's not coming back. Anyway.
2: <laughs>
0: don't look at that. That's just death. It's just over there. Red and tooth and claw. Okay, a little song about gay little springtime.
8: Does life stop when bad things happen to you?
0: Yeah. No. Which is why The Lion King is the best revision and correction and update of that. Yes. It hasn't mm-hmm. been bettered. As well as doing a fantastic video on the death of the Hollywood movie musical, where it becomes apparent that Mary Poppins was a sudden sharp spike in the middle of an otherwise downward trajectory in the popularity of musicals with a couple of others like My Fair Lady and The Sound of Music proving that Hello Dolly was going to be the norm from now on. Lindsay Ellis described this film in particular, uh, the uh, birds versus bank scenes, to be super capitalist Walt Disney being at least... I love this phrase.
8: Socialism curious.
2: Please maybe. feel...
0: Whatever
2: for. I have tuppence from my money box. Just this once, please.
3: Waste your money on a lot of ragamuffin
1: birds? Certainly
7: not. But I want to redistribute the wealth, Father.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to look at the moral uh, uh, point of the narrative, uh, I think ultimately that 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 might be it. It's, it's, it's dabbling in that. Mm. It's also noteworthy that very soon after Walt's death, Disney came back with the one version of Robin Hood that I can even think of, where he's really trying to give back to the poor after he robs from the rich. He hangs out with the poor all the time. The plight of the poor, the unjustly jailed poor, that fox is woke. Where it falls down, though, is it never shows you what the non-poor are like. But fuck it, it was pre-industrialization. The middle classes barely existed. It was just these great big fat bastards eating all the pie. And everyone else desperate to not become a beggar. By the way, if you like this more sociological take on Mary Poppins, there is a half an hour worth of material I had to trim out of this show, which was already huge, that got quite fiery, very unsuitable for children, and I'm releasing it on Patreon as Political Poppins.
9: It's, it's a very gentle way of doing it, and as you said, it's not as... Uh, what, how did I put it? It's like It's like Dickens Soft.
0: Diet Dickens. Mm. Diet Dickens, yeah. Oh, that's...
9: Mm. It, no, 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 that's... that's that, that makes... Because I'd spit but...
0: Diet Coke out.
9: No. Oh, OK. <laughs> you meant the Diet Coke comparison. But but my point Also, is Coke, the... Is
0: the co- Coke is the... Coke <laughs> <thimble> is <laughs> the...
9: The... Thimble of capitalism. So you're saying, well, yeah.
0: socialism-curious, you kind of like Diet Coke. Mm. OK, bad. Diet Coke makes the Coke company trillions.
9: Because mm. they don't even have to pay for the sugar. <laughs> <laughs> But the my, my point being that it's, it's bringing in this concept of if you're wealthy, maybe, just maybe, it might be nice to consider sharing a little bit of that wealth. You know, just charitably, just donate it to people who need it on an unselfish basis. And effectively, you're being given... It's also technically an example of trickle-down economics because you're buying the breadcrumbs from the lady so you're giving tuppence to the lady but you're also giving breadcrumbs to the birds you see so it all kind of rolls down the steps of St Paul's literally
10: crumbs from their tables
9: indeed but the he's not going in there with the, right, we're going to storm the bank, take all the money and redistribute it to the chimney sweeps. We're living in a
0: narco syndicalist commune.
9: Absolutely. Oh, my God, no, that's what they're doing. When she takes them up to see the chimney... This is why Step in Time is not a complete waste of time because they're actually forming a chimney sweeps co-op...
0: A revolution. ...that
9: Michael is going to get them the seed money for. So,
0: yeah, when Michael was being grabbed at the bank, he was like, come and see the violence inherent in the system. Help, help, I'm being <laughs> oppressed. Anyway.
8: The fragility of the system is very uh, parodied in that sequence, though, because yes. small child can successfully start a bank run bank, just yeah. by existing in proximity to old men,
0: well, essentially. I mean, it, it does kind of show that the <laughs> bank, bank exists purely on our faith that it exists. Oh,
9: absolutely! Mm-hmm. I,
0: they, they sing that song to say, "Put your faith in the bank," mm. because if because you don't,
9: th- we're ruined. They're still trying was- to persuade people to do so. Yep.
8: This was a very interesting film to watch immediately after. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life. By the way, oh, yeah.
9: <laughs> I thought well, of that, too. I was watching the movie and
10: I'm like, Michael Banks. It's Michael Banks's fault that George Bailey had to give up his home his honeymoon money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, now,
10: several decades in advance. That Let's also means one.
0: with, with uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Dawes Sr. and uh, Mr. Potter, you've got Mr. Burns' two gay dads because they, they are <laughs> the archetypal, mean spirited old men. Possibly with a bit of Grinch and a bit of Scrooge in there as well. Mr. Burns is at least he was, last time I saw The Simpsons, uh, the the consummate modern-day version of these miserly, um, uh, uh, disgustingly opulent old men.
8: He's essentially a Republican. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Oh, it's a jolly holiday with you, Bert. Gentlemen like you are few. A
6: and breed, that's me.
2: Though you're just a diamond in the rough bird. Underneath your blood is blue. Common knowledge. You'd never think of pressing your advantage. Forbearance is the hallmark of your creed. True. A lady needn't fear when you are near. sweet gentility is crystal clear. Oh, it's a jolly holiday with you, Bert. A jolly jolly holiday with you.
0: After seeing this film, PL Travers only saw her Toys being played with against her will, she didn't uh, see a meaningful journey being made, one which could genuinely help to mend families uh, on a greater scale, or at least she had difficulty seeing that, and it took her a long time. One which she... Never seemingly had interest in carrying out in the written version herself. She didn't, like I said earlier, she didn't shape Mr. Banks uh, according to what Disney had suggested. And uh, it just kind of plays itself out episodically. Uh, And by the eighth book, which was written in the 80s, um, it's genuinely deeply sad, especially once you've seen Emma Thompson's performance, that the woman who bought the world, these characters, could not recognize, when they were being made, the best versions of themselves. But as it turned out, her loss was the world's gain. And I think that's really what... And, and Ellis said this as well, that the uh, the end result of um, Saving Mr. Banks was that signing over your intellectual property to this capitalist pig dog, symbolised by the pushy face of Mickey Mouse, might not actually have been all that bad in the long run, because it did genuinely bring joy to the world. Tom Hanks gives this wonderful, warm performance, and at the end he asks her... To give Mary to him, she has to sacrifice something she's been holding on to very, very hard.
8: A lesson that I think Disney could learn in letting go of its copyrights a little bit and letting things pass into the public domain.
0: Yeah, uh-huh. might be an idea. Saving Mr. It's Disney. Stirring.
8: There is
9: that. It's modern
8: copyright is
9: entirely Walt Disney's fault. Yeah. yeah. Are they one day going to do a film about how they got hold of the Fox? Right, and call it <laughs> saving Mr. Murdoch. I think <laughs> more likely oh, is they'll make a
8: movie about that time they traded a newscaster to get their cartoon rabbit back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but when you said get hold of the fox, I was thinking of the Irish stereotype fifth and big fox in this. I completely film.
8: forgot that character existed until this watch through, and I was oh. like, "This can't be hearty tartie tar." Honestly,
0: that's, <laughs> that's more cultural offensive appropriation. than the yeah, cockney yeah. thing. Yeah. But I do they like did that a lot. They in saved the fox. fox. Yeah,
10: that yeah. was a A cool uh, movie about getting Fox saving Professor Xavier. Ah, yeah. <laughs> very
0: good. Okay, so uh, to finish us off, Tales from Hoth asks favorite song, musical piece, and why you picked it. So let's go around the horn. Sharon first.
9: Because I assume that several of the people are going to say "Feed the Birds," which is, I think, objectively the best song in the film. Agreed. I was actually quite taken by surprise by the one that came in as a very close second for me, uh, which was Jolly Holiday.
5: Hmm.
9: Because, and I think the reason why it appealed to me so much this time was because there is an unrestrained joy about it. It's just, it's the first time you really get to see Mary... Having fun and the kids are having a whale of a time, and Bert's getting involved as well. And it just the whole thing feels cheery and enjoyable, and and it's it's really difficult to put my finger on. But it's the kind of thing that I normally turn my nose up. Those big over the top musical musicals. You numbers don't like
0: uh, being the, manipulated, yeah.
9: That that seems sort of to be deliberately pushing you in a specific direction, and you know the whole straw boater and cane vaudeville type stuff, I normally does not appeal to me at all. So it really surprised me that watching it this time I was like, this is actually really fun. And I enjoy enjoying myself thoroughly.
0: Okay, um my personal favourite is actually a, a tie between because it's a reprise. The Life I Lead, that's the George Banks song at the beginning, uh, and then reprised in A Man Has Dreams uh simply because it juxtaposes the man with his life altogether and the man with his life falling apart. Uh which I think like really gets to the heart of the uh, of, of what the film ended up being wasn't you know, wasn't going to be the intentionally that way. If you if you watch um Saving Mr Banks, if you read up on it, the whole coming up with this being all about George really was done during production as opposed to like it being Walt's intention for twenty years. Uh, but uh, Walt did have the idea that Banks should have a moustache, even if it bothered Travers. She, she didn't want the moustache in the illustrations. But to Walt, he said that his George Banks, who in, forget in his life, had a moustache, and that meant something to him. I respond well to people being put through a whole spectrum of human emotions when their life is uprooted. Debbie.
7: I have been trying to, as soon, as soon as you asked that, I was just kind of going over in my head. And it probably, honestly, as Sharon mentioned, I think probably feeds the birds just because that song gives me chills every time I hear it. And there is something just, it, the the instrumental part of that is so... It hits me at a very primal level, and it just, I think that one, probably that one because it affects me emotionally more than any other. I think it just, because that just, it raises the hair on the back of my neck, it gives me chills, I'm just like, oh my god, and it hits me harder than any other,
0: <laughs> I would say. Mackenzie? Mackenzie?
7: I Again, I think I have to agree
8: with Sharon. Uh, As a pure song, definitely Feed the Birds. Again, for the reason Debbie and Sharon said, it's just emotionally incredible and musically outstanding. And obviously Julie Andrews' voice is heavenly in, I think, a literal way almost. (laughs)
5: Um,
8: But as a part of the film like as a visual filmic and musical experience i might give the edge to jolly holiday and i just think the animation section is so dazzling in so many ways that i just can't write it off my favorite lyrics has to go to uh two lines in separate sister suffragette though
5: stupid yes.
7: Yes. <laughs> That did tickle me absolutely on this watch. I was like holy shit yeah. that's amazing. Uh-huh. No. Just the two lines though. Yeah. Otherwise
8: what I said previously.
0: And Kaoru as another stupid man. As a group. Yeah, as a group, yeah. Individually oh. we are adored, but um, yeah.
10: I'm gonna to have to go with Chim Chim Chury, Actually, it's the most versatile song I think of the entire uh, film. You see it, you hear it in um, times of happiness, of sadness, of mystery, of wonder, um, and basically they do it just by changing the instrumentation. Whether you have you know that uh, flute trill at the beginning that's very succumbing to um, to the kind of Full orchestral part of it during the regular song that just has that wonderful boom 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 song like
0: undertone to it. It's got kind and of a, uh, a fairground organ. Exactly to it. Yeah, yeah. And
10: plus, since it's Bert's late motif, every time I hear it, it means Dick Van Dyke's going to be on screen, and he was just so wonderful in this film.
0: Agreed.
10: It Are just made me happy.
0: Robert Sherman played that for us in the... Well, not for us specifically, but played that on the uh, uh, Blu-ray when he was talking about the music to Jason Schwartzman, who played him in um, *Same Mr. Banks. And he was playing the original version and saying it sounded Russian because it was boom, 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 boom. And it actually had a lot more weight to it, so they had to sort of take it... I don't know what the musical terms were, but to make it a little lighter, to uh, uh, to, to sort of make it flow more rather than be this, you know... Cossack song.
10: Mm. Yeah, almost like a march.
0: Yeah.
2: Chim chimney, chim chimini, chim chim, chim When you're with a sweep, you're in glad company.
6: Nowhere is there a more happier crew than them. What sings chim chim, chiri chim chiri? Chim chim
2: chim, chiminy, chim chim chimri, chim chim chimru.
0: Those are all great answers. Thank you very, very much. This has been a fantastic show. Thank you. Now, all of our patrons matter to us uh, on School of Movies. It is you guys who keep the show going. However, since I recently started composing customized shout-outs to my $15 supporters, I gained no new ones, which is fine. But yesterday, I lost one. This tells me that investing several extra hours each episode to come up with a quirky, creative way to say thank you is actually having a negative impact, even if some of you have expressed that it's delightful on on Twitter. I I can't go about accidentally insulting or upsetting you guys individually through no intention, but it makes me sad, but I'm not going to stop saying thank you to the top-tier patrons because their generosity makes a serious difference every month. So, thank you too. Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, he's a new guy, so actually I did get one new guy, uh, Sean Doran, also relatively new, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, thank you to Tom Painter, Finn Barnicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluze, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisham.
7: One one very very quick thing, and I, something I meant to mention earlier, and we got distracted and onto other things. But in response to Sharon talking about Jolly Holiday really bringing her joy, I think part of the reason I would guess is the fact that this film is one hundred and fifty percent sincere. Mm. There is zero cynicism, except obviously some cynicism of the characters, but there is zero hollywood cynicism anywhere in this it's It's so genuine yes and i think that's what makes that that's part of what i think it got i would guess got you sharon is the fact that that you know this is the movie is in all the way for this and therefore the audience can be too
9: yeah yeah i think that's true
0: that's the disconnect in my head when people bitch about disney and the uh, the naive world that they force on us it's they, they it seems to come from a, a, a point where they're like well you're just calculating this you're just forcing everyone to feel like this but uh, again I, I don't i don't see disney as this one big conglomerated like society style heap of heaving bodies it's individual right. creators working together uh, to, to to make something that they believe in. And almost always that thing is something kind of wonderful. Like there are some which are more troubling, but, uh, you know, as, as we found out throughout our series, uh, right. and, you know, a whole bunch of live action films we're not even going to be touching. But I can't see this as Disney has an agenda to turn the world cloyingly sweet. Honestly, Disney tackled stuff a lot of the time, which most other studios won't. Mm.
9: And I don't honestly think that they want to turn the world cloyingly sweet. What Disney provides is an escape as much as it is anything else. If the world becomes cloyingly sweet, nobody needs them anymore.
0: Yeah, their stock goes down. Mm. If people so badly need Disney right now that they can have all the power in Hollywood, look at how fucked the world has to get to get us to a point of mass escapism. And the polar opposite of that is far more unhealthy, which is to wallow in nihilistic, what's the point of anything? So it'd be easy to go, well, either end of the scale's harmful, but one of them empowers people to do things, to be kind. The other one gives them excuses to be shitty. It's a false equivalency to label them both as two equally negative extremes.
6: Confounded, Banks, I said, do you have anything to say? (laughs)
5: Just one word, sir.
3: Yes? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. What? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Mary Poppins was right. It's extraordinary. It does make you feel better. (laughs) What are you talking about, men? There's no such word. Oh, yes. It is a word. A perfectly good word. Actually... Do you know what there's no such thing as? It turns out, with due respect, when all is said and done, that there's no such thing as you! Impertinence, sir! Speaking of impertinence, would you like to hear a perfectly marvellous joke? A real snapper. Joke? Snapper? Yes. There are these two wonderful young people, Jane and Michael, and they meet one day on the street, and Jane says to Michael, I know a man with a wooden leg named Smith, and Michael says, really, what's the name of his other leg? (laughs) Oh, you... The man's gone mad. Caldergud. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I'm feeling better all the time. Banks, don't you dare strike my father. There's the Tuppence, the wonderful, fateful, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious Tuppence. Guard it well. Goodbye. Wait, where are you going? I don't know. I might pop through a chalk pavement picture and go for an outing in the country, or I might seize a horse off a merry-go-round and win the derby, or I might just fly a kite. Only Poppins would know. Pubbing? My nanny. She's the one who sings that ridiculous song. A spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. The medicine go down. The medicine go down. The medicine. Go down. The medicine.
2: Mad as a march
0: hare. Uh, no, I know the march hare. This fellow's twice as mad. We never said how great Ed Wynn is in his little role as Uncle Al, but he's great. To our guests, now is the time to send people to your individual shows. Karu and Debbie, you guys can go first.
10: Uh, absolutely. You can find us at sequentially com, where we talk about comic books, comic book movies. Uh, we do deep dives into uh, the makings of and the meanings of and that sort of thing.
7: And also, we're both on Twitter.
10: At Moon Panther 22 is me. That's at 8300.
0: <laughs> Mackenzie. What can you tell us about Rainbow Connection?
10: Yes, uh, me and my uh,
8: boyfriend are just starting the Rainbow Connection, which is going to be a podcast about the Muppets, but also all of Jim Henson's company's other works. Our first episode is going to be up on our SoundCloud at uh, Rainbow Connection on SoundCloud. You can follow our Twitter at Pod and I'm on Twitter at at Kenzie Phoenix. The first episode's going to be Muppets from Space, and then we're doing some very exciting things for Christmas,
0: I think, anyways. Next week, we don't know what we're covering. We could be putting out Ant-Man and the Wasp, which we're about to record. We could be doing Into the Spider-Verse. We could be doing Aquaman. You'll have to check us out on Twitter at School of Movies to find out what, and also to use the hashtag S.O.M. hands up to ask us questions for that show. Because I have really liked what your questions have done for this one. And I feel like we're going to be back at some point in the future to cover Mary Poppins Returns. And we will play you out with Let's Go Fly a Kite. Because even though none of us mentioned it as a great song, it is just the best way to end this particular movie. And even Travers, even old Sourpuss Travers, actually did get really excited at the idea that George Banks mends the kite and that's actually quite brilliant even from her approach to uh, writing she could see that that was a really splendid way for him to complete his arc in this film
8: question did he actually use michael's money to buy that or was it just <laughs>
9: symbolic
0: i think he borrowed that tuppence but he'll pay him back with interest
9: <laughs> yeah he gives michael's tuppence to Dawes.
0: yeah true yeah that doors ends up clutching that in his dead hand
9: <laughs> there, that twopence is going on his eyes. And oh, his out on that
0: oh. bombshell. Oh. Let's leave you on. Let's go fly a kite. Uh, remember, Duel Sr. died laughing, which is the best way to die, I think, if you're going to die in any particular well, way.
9: Well, that's what his son says. It's yeah. like, it's. I've <laughs> never seen him so happy. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of
8: the full version of Little Shop of Horrors, dying laughing is not great in that situation. That
0: is true. Uh, or, or any way that the Joker can make you die laughing. Uh, we're getting into a weird area here, folks. Let's leave you on Let's Go Fly a Kite. So I have been Alex Shaw.
9: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And school's out.
9: With tuppence for
4: paper and strings, you can have your own set of wings. With your feet on the ground You're a bird in flight With your fist holding tight To the string of your kite Oh, let's go fly a kite Up to the highest height Let's go fly a kite And send it soaring Up through the Atmosphere up where the air is clear. Oh, let's go fly a kite.
6: When you send it flying up there, all at once you're lighter than air. You can dance on the breeze over houses and trees with your pistol and tight to the string of your kite. Oh, 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 oh.